On episode 26 of Pixel Gaiden, we have an interview with Stefan Vogt. Are simulators worth playing? Have you ever done a shadow run? A mini, mini discussion. We get inside the ring. Tim talks Dreamcast. Cody talks Home Arcade. Some more 8-bit ales. We get a little wacky with the soundboard. Stay Your host, Eric Nelson and Cody Hoffman! Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pixel Guy Dan. It's our January, uh, the first episode of January. Um, Happy New Year, and it's a new decade as well. Kind of weird, right? It is, and it's 2020. And it's 2020, which I have not written correctly once yet. I need to get that stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, I'm here with uh, Eric, as always, and uh, we're going to hear from some friends this episode, which will be which will be fun a little later. Got a great interview lined up, but of course, uh, if you guys have not listened to the show before, Pixel Guide in the best show about retro games and retro-inspired games and beer and beer. That's a key. Uh, that's a key thing there. We need to expand that. I think <laughs> we need to make it fifty-fifty. Exactly. Beer slot. And uh, and we were you know again opening the curtain. We we do two shows back to back when we record them here. So if we go any more beer, uh, the second show is going to be just sloppy. sloppy. Very sloppy. <laughs> just way too sloppy. Or I should say sloppier. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's start right off the bat with some quick questions. Quick questions. I'll start here. Please do. So we've talked about these two potential minis coming down the road. Um Mini uh, video game systems, right? Kind of like your Super Nintendo Mini and your NES Classic. Correct. I guess the NES called them Classics. So we talked about two potential ones that might come out in the future, the N64 Mini and the PC Mini, which both have kind of... Uh, Not a PC Engine, but PC That is, Mini. the PC Mini. Have you heard much about that? Is that still a thing, do you know? I've heard a ton of rumors. I've heard the, the, the company that is actually working on it and I, and I haven't heard much lately, so it might be just a dead project, but they talked about making it so there would be packs, like you would buy a pack of like See, that'd even be cooler. five or ten PC games, they'd be all dialed in, not having to worry about getting the ad-lib sound working and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So and th- See, that's why we, are, we know we are consumer whores, because I'm like, can you break it out and charge me more money for things by putting it into separate packs I can buy at different times? And I would. I, I, <laughs> I absolutely would. Because I'm sure you've tried to get some old PC games working before, maybe you haven't but i have and they they'll work but maybe the sound won't work or maybe the joystick won't work or whatever or cutscenes will just go black or yep yeah exactly especially if they're cd (laughs) games like there's no music in some part for some reason Mm -hmm. so to have something that's canned and ready to go be awesome and then the n64 obviously because it's so hard to emulate it would be nice to have an N64 one. And we right? made fun of that last month because I, I went back and listened to some old episodes and like a year and a half ago when we first started, I said, oh, I heard that this is absolutely going to come out. It's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it's completely been debunked and Nintendo said, we're not doing it. They straight out said, we're not doing it. <laughs> we're not doing any more uh, classics. Yeah. But, and I imagine that's going to be an opportunity for them to get it on the Switch. 
Yeah. But yeah. here's my question. If there was between those two minis, the N64 and the PC one, which it looks right now, neither is going to come out. But yeah. if it did, which one would be your preference? Which one would you prefer more? PC. Done. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. That was a very long question for a very short answer. Yeah. Oh, oh. listeners, they thought we were going somewhere with that. So why no. wouldn't you want the N64 one? Or or maybe you would, but you would want I'll, the PC I'll, one I mean, more. If they're going to keep making, I'm going to keep buying them. In fact, I was thinking about that. I want to try to find to get some sort of little shelf. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be like a perfect Ikea like <laughs> hanging shelf that we can put all our minis on. Yeah. Um, you should get like mini garage hooks and like have a mini area. <laughs> so I can put, yeah, because behind me, for those who don't know, I have a whole bunch of old wedge-shaped microcomputers on the wall. I've got uh, brackets that I got just from Amazon. I've got nine of them just kind of well laid out here, just kind of hanging all next to each other, looking all tidy. So if I could do that same thing with some minis. <laughs> get like little miniature ones. That would be pretty awesome. That would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the PC just, I don't know, it just seems... It, that's an underserved part of retro, I think. I mean, yeah. you've got good old games and Steam that are kind of mm -hmm. keeping some of that stuff alive, but um, sure. you don't see people doing a whole lot with old retro PC towers and things like that, or, you know, 4D6s or Right. I mean, my, mi my mister has like a little core called the AO486 core, and it's actually 386, but I don't know why it's called 46, maybe because that's the architecture. But it... It it works well. It plays the older games, but mm -hmm. if you throw, and it'll play Doom, it'll play like stuff like that. But if you throw something a little older, it starts to choke, and mm. it, it, it's just like a PC. It's fidgety. Like you have to move memory around, and it, yeah, it, I guess it, that's it. Is there's no way to really play that stuff. You and I both have a Nintendo sixty four <laughs> with the EverDrive yep. from Crick Kazikas. Cricks, <laughs> and uh, that thing works really well because it's not emulation. It's that's right. Just physically putting the ones and zeros into your actual hardware. Um, so yeah, the PC one would be really cool because, and I would buy those packs, and uh, it'd be it'd be cool if it came with like a, I don't know if I want to say a small mouse or but if it gave you the whole thing, you know. Yeah, um, I agree. Kind of a classic looking beige PC box and uh, <laughs> like a cheesy mouse Just pad. Just miniaturized one. Yeah, yeah like, that would be not? pretty cool. I mean, they make the little mini PC mouses for your laptops. Everyone has a little tiny one. Yep. So they can just make one of those, but make it old, make it tanky, and like I said, beige and dark beige, and <laughs> yep. one big clickable button in the middle. I would buy it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. maybe we should uh, think about that. Hmm. Ooh. Ooh, going into the business? First, the first pixel guide in product. <laughs> All right. My question to you, my friend. Yes. This is one I thought about a while. This is a little more in depth here. Okay. So... As we get into the retro scene, first of all, you and I know we're, you and I, our, our primary goal is games. We like games. We like getting old things running and playing games. You also dig into some BBS scene where you like to talk mm -hmm. to people and play games. Yes. <laughs> and yep. download games and talk about games. Yeah. Um, so both of us kind of have that, that slant. A lot of people we've been meeting in these Amiga circles and things, they are using these old Amigas and computers and things to do things like word processing still, mm -hmm. if they can, yeah. or even trying to get MP3s and stuff playing on them. A lot of people use the Amigas for uh, the uh, drawing software, Deluxe Paint, and doing all kinds of stuff on that. In the same sense, I can go back and play all these games I want now, and there's a bunch of old simulators where they literally, like the old Microsoft Flight Simulator or... Uh, old Gran Turismo kind of games where they're trying to actually simulate actual driving situations. Yeah. And um, I can't go back. I can go back and play those to kind of learn how, what the experience was briefly. Yeah. But I cannot do those things or play those types of games anymore because when you're doing something that's workflow related or simulation related, there's better. It's better now. It is. Yeah. 
So I guess my question to you is, are you able to go back and use those things, those, those uh, word processing documents and graphic programs or playing those old simulation games? Is there anything in that? Or do they need to be like arcade racing games or, um, you know what I'm getting at? I do. And I, I, I don't want to take too long on my answer here, but I, it, and I have to say it depends. Because you remember when, when we were first doing the show, I was writing stuff up on the TRS-80 Model 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it worked perfectly. It's a great note taker. I did it. I transferred to PC. I put it in Word, and it looks great. Um, it, so certain things, yes. Arcadey games, simulators, like arcadey simulator games. Like well, they're not simulators of the arcades. Those I can play. Right. Arcadey. You know, like Ridge Racer or uh, yep. even Pole Position, you know, those kind of yep. Lotus that kind of stuff. I loved a helicopter simulator that was supposed to be a true simulator on the C64 called Gunship, and I loved it. I'd play it every day after school. I tried to play it as an adult, and it, it, I'm not joking. It's about two frames per second. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I did the same thing with Red Baron. I was so I played that. At least Red Baron is. I, I actually like that game. I mean, I can still play that and have fun with it. Well, so the. The thing is, I grew up with it on a Mac. It was probably a more powerful oh. Mac, and I recently played it on my Amiga 500. No, 600. It was on the 600. Yeah. And it couldn't keep up. So no. it also, I think, was that. I think it needs to be accelerated, but... Yeah. So it just depends on what it is, but I think f for the most part, no. They're not worth going back to. They're not worth... worth. They're, I think they're great to look at historically. Like you go back yeah. and you look at it and go, yep. okay, this is awesome. This was awesome for the day. And I think I have a good lens for that. Like I can see, okay, this was good for the day. Like when I look at ZX Spectrum games, I'm like, this is probably, when this came out and you're sitting there loading up your cassette, this game is probably pretty cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? See, well, and I'll put myself through the unnecessary load times to see, you know, load screens mm -hmm. and, you know, make a sandwich and come back just <laughs> yep. every once in a while just to do it. Because that was something I didn't personally experience, but that was part of the experience. And so I want to yep. enjoy that part of experience of playing games. But for something non-gaming, I hope that this is the year you'll get into BBSs. Because I, I, I do, do want to try that. I love BBSs. I, I, you know, before I go to work, I have my cup of coffee. I sit down and I log into a BBS. Just like the old days. I mean, I did it on a telephone line back then. Now they have Wi-Fi modems that simulate modems but they just tell that into bbs's that are out there but the serial nature of the message forums where you just you're chatting you see message you reply to it you're the only one on the bbs because yeah, it's was, a single user bbs i was trying to think about how to explain that to i mean a lot of our listeners don't know what a bbs is right um so i was trying to think of a good way to explain it to best to my knowledge as well because i haven't actually been on one but it's more or less at least back then it was more or less you literally dialed into somebody else's computer pre-internet mm -hmm. And it was basically a message board. Yeah, it's, it's software like that a, is like a message board. Just you, like a forum is kind of nowadays, even though the, the forums are dying now too. But Right. Yeah. But you can download games. You can play online games like uh, Trade Wars and stuff like that. So there's a lot to BBS. And everything, they, everything that you wanted to download was spelled with Zs instead of Ss? That's right. It was the hip way to do it. <laughs> it was neat. Or as uh, Aaron Aaron from the Amigos says, it's cool guy style. Yeah, spelled cool guy style. Exactly. I'm gonna get my wares. So yeah, so I think over the majority of the question is no, it's not worth. But there are some things that are. I think. Perfect. Um, I want to go ahead and drop our show information real quick here. So if you guys want to come by and uh, check us out on the World Wide Web, speaking of retro, is that something they say anymore? So <laughs> the kids say. 
Uh, check us out at pixelguiden.com. You can also find us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden at the project. That's Eric, which is at D U H project at oddball 49, which is O D D B A one one four nine. That is myself. Here's truly Cody Hoffman and our, uh, UK correspondent, Tim Drew, can be found at Sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you're inclined to do so, you could review us on mm. Apple Podcasts, no longer iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Please do, because that helps us a lot. It does. If you want to email us, we're at podcast at pixelguiden.com, and we strongly, strongly would like to have more feedback. So if you could email us, that would be great. We just want to hear from people, listeners. We can read your stuff on the show. That's right. That is right. And, and we did get some feedback this time, and you'll hear from him a little later. <laughs> and if you want to support us financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash pixelguiden. And we are going to announce our Patreon supporters right now. Yep, this is our second month of doing this, Eric. Uh, trying to find a fun way to announce our patrons. So I found a way to do it here. And uh, there's going to be a theme behind this again. Our first uh, time we did this last month, we did a blues club. And I'm going to continue to use our random word generator to give us adjectives to describe each one of our patrons. And of course, it's completely tongue-in-cheek and for fun. I did edit out some of the kind of negative names. Yeah. <laughs> Last time we had to try to edit them out on the air, and some of them still got through. Uh, I, I, I think we called, uh, was it Roy Fielding? I said was arrogant. <laughs> yeah, which is not <laughs> and, true at and all. You couldn't, and you couldn't stop yourself. You're like, no, no, he's not. Everyone, <laughs> Even though we're joking, don't listen. <laughs> He is the opposite. He is the that. opposite. So today, Eric, mm -hmm. I'm going to take you on down to the old wrestling rink. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2020's Royal Rumble. Are you feeling it, Eric? I'm really loud. It's really loud. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's a very high energy event, Eric. Yes, I am ready. To Let me announce to the ring each one of your wrestlers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in the purple shorts, please welcome the organic Tim Drew. Yay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the green shorts, coming on in right now is the fretful Jim Tessier. Yay. Wearing the burnt Sienna shorts, the dry Henrik Lodeful. Wearing the ochre shorts. That's right, I'm going through a whole box of Crayolas here. In the ochre shorts, the tangible Roy Fielding. Flying high and coming in dry is the purple skinny pants we have, the draft Gary Heather. Whoa, purple skinny pants. <laughs> Our next chance. wrestler donned some uh, chartreuse hammer pants. Ooh. That would be the salty Dustin Newell. All right, here comes our boy in the red blazer, the naughty Matthew Ackerman. Rounding out the top eight, I think, if I counted correctly. Wearing a sequence blazer, the questionable Daniel James. <laughs> All right, coming in strong and hot in his Argyle pullover, the irate Josh Malone. Coming in shiny and looking dapper in his rhinestone boots, the impossible David Vincent. Now this guy's coming in with a belt buckle the size of my face. It's the watery Retro Gamer Nation. And right behind him in his 20-gallon hat, the scintillating 10-minute Mega Retrocast. We've got three new contenders this year. 
And I do mean year because it's a new year, right? That's right. Our luchadors, the three new patrons, announcing them all at once here in a green mask, blue mask, and yellow mask, respectively. Eric Sandgren, Graham Axton, and David Motowilak, which I said wrong. Woo! Yay! Whew. All right. That wrestling music's intense. <laughs> I'll adjust the volume and post, Eric. <laughs> I feel it. But hey, sincerely, uh, sincerely, I like that. It's a new word. Sincerely, guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's a lot of patrons. And yeah. uh, uh, we just had to re-up our, our uh, web hosting. So we did, yeah. that money came in handy. And we really appreciate it. Keep us going. Keep us making the show, which we love to do. And uh, I'll replay that again here in two weeks. So you get to hear that over again. Hopefully it went, was everything you hoped it would be, Eric. <laughs> I, it sounded great to me. You know what the best part of announcing our patrons is? What's that? A beer. We get beer afterwards. Uh, and, uh, I could uh, use it now. My, my throat is a little... Uh, Gristly. Which one are we starting with? We got to start with one of the ones in my basket here. Okay. Um, so if you want to start yep, working on that, it. and yep. of course I did not bring a bottle opener again. I got one. Because I don't think. Um, these beers came again from Arizona. Our uh, our boys Daniel James, as well as Doug from the Ten Minute Amina, Amiga Retrocast, as well as our local friend here from the local Sacramento uh, Computer Club, Toast. Is it Mr. Toast or Toast? What is he going by nowadays? I thought it was Mr. Toast. Mr. Toast? I think so. Is it Mr. Toast, then common, or hyphen, then toast? Hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, that's his Twitter handle. Anyway, they all met up down in Arizona uh, like a month and a half ago and were sweet enough to send us some beers from their from their trip. So, um... You want to do the... Yeah, I do want to do that. So, here... Oh, yikes. Ooh, you get that. that one. You get the one that's all going to be shaken up and foamy. That's fine. So, I'm going to go ahead and crack this puppy right now. It's in a, a tall boy can here. And this one, uh, you guys have heard this. This this is the third time we've drinking their beer on our show now. Which is awesome. Which is absolutely awesome. The cans uh, are always really cool. Yeah. And this is from 8-Bit uh, Bit Ale Works um, in Avondale, Arizona. And we mentioned this one on the show because we opened it last uh, month, but we saved it for tonight to drink it. And when I say we saved it, I mean we saved at least one each because I already drank the other two and they were delicious. <laughs> they were. I, I did I did as well. They were long gone. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Gram Turismo. And what type of beer is it, uh, Eric? This is a, well, it says Beta Beer Gram Turismo. Let me read the size here. Hold on. I got to take my glasses off because I forgot my readers. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew we were retro. I didn't know we were that retro. Graham Cracker Brown Ale with cinnamon. Yes. And I do remember tasting that. So cheers. Cheers. All right. So it's got a nice little uh, half inch ahead here. Yep. Nice, nice color to it. Nice red, really, really, dark red, multi color to it. Really good carbonation. Um. Oh man, it tastes good. I'm gonna be honest with you, Eric. So far, this is my favorite beer of the year. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mine, <laughs> mine as well. No joke though. So I did, like I said, I already had one of these, and I loved it, and I've been looking forward to it. It does taste like a cinnamon graham cracker. Yeah. And I, beer. I mean, it's still definitely beer. Don't get me wrong. It's yep. not... So the only thing I found close to this, like locally, is there's one called a Campfire Stout, like by High Water Valley. Okay. And that is is it's a stout instead of an ale, a brown ale, so it's a little different, but it has a little bit of this flavor and it's it's really good. I just had one last weekend. I like this because it's got a whole lot of flavor, just like a stout would, but it's not thick. 
right drinkable very flavorful. drinkable and you know like when we had that uh um that toast man what was that powdered toast man yeah beer? that's good it's a good beer but man it is sweet i just had another one yeah I, I sent you a picture of that when i was drinking it i like it i do like it but man it's a dessert beer like yeah, it's, it's very, a, one, very one of those a week maybe yeah if that um uh, but this has just the right amount of sweetness yeah it's not a over your head sweet it's a back of your tongue sweet and uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I literally, we had a, a few friends over a yeah. while back, and in my fridge, when they all left, someone had brought apparently a four pack of Campfire. Oh, really? So I've got four of those sitting. In, I haven't tried one yet, but they're all just sitting in there. We never, I need, didn't even know they brought them. So they're, uh, I've never they're seen in my them. In, I've never seen them not in four packs or, or in. It big, is a four pack. Or, is it a big bottle like big bottles or are they no? Cans? They're can tall boys just like this. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen them in tall boys. I I got the big bottle. Like, okay, there was just one big bottle. Cool. Gotcha. All right. All right, Eric. Uh, before we catch up, uh, I'm sorry, before we do the news, uh, we'd like to do, go ahead and do our errata. Yep. So two things that I caught in our last uh, episode. No one else called me on it, but they should have. I think I've mentioned this before in the show, too. One of my pet peeves is when people say literally and then say something not literal. Right. And I did that. I said literally, <laughs> literally half-baked. I didn't catch it. No, there was absolutely no baking involved. What am I talking about? I even fall into my own vices here, my own traps. Um, I, always I, also, assume, I always assume people are just joking anyway when they say literally yeah, and something. Nuts. Does it? it the, well, the worst, and I might have mentioned this before, the worst for me is when they say, dude, it has a huge amount of kind of, right, <laughs> or it's totally kind of this. It's yeah. like, you can't be totally kind of. Pick one. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, we were talking about how it's a super cool port, and it is a port of. We were talking. I was talking about Super Mario Land being ported to the Super Nintendo. Yeah, and how you don't see a lot of games ported there because it doesn't work well. I was for, in my head. I was imagining Super Mario Land on the Game Boy, which I, I admitted I never really played through. Right. No, it was not Super Mario Land. It's the new Super Mario Brothers from the Wii was ported back to the Super Nintendo and very very well, which is more impressive. And I didn't catch that one either. I uh, did you try, have you tried that yet or no? I have. I oh, have. you did? Yeah, yeah. I, Super playable. It is very playable. Is there a random line through your screen, though? I don't remember that. I'll have to try I, it I again. did it earlier in the month, so I'll have to try it again and see. Yeah, that's cool. No. That's cool. All right, Eric, I've got a game show for you, my friend. Oh. I've got some feedback, some user feedback on this. Oh, did you? And uh, this particular individual said one of the favorite, his favorite parts of the show is what we used to call the game show, but now we changed it last time because of your. Uh, ramblings. <laughs> we change it to, ladies and gentlemen, where's my buttons? Let's play Make Eric Feel Stupid! Not hard to do. <laughs> Alright. Well, these are more just questions. Okay. This is just a question and answer, the first one. I've got three things here. Okay. Eric Nelson. Yes. What shape does the Atari logo represent? It's a Fuji. A Fuji apple? No, a Fuji Mountain. <laughs> Mount Fuji, you are correct, sir. Congratulations. You are one for three. Awesome. All right, we're going back to this. These are three games that have recently come out for the Nintendo Switch, Eric. Oh, man. One Re of these recently? Is, one of these is fake. All right, I might have a chance because I've been looking through the eShop. All right, right, you have All a chance right. here. All right. Is it Professional Farmer, Ice Trucker, or fishing, Barents Sea. What? Can you repeat that last one? Fishing, Barents Sea. Fishing, Barent. 
Barrent Sea. S-E-A. Ocean. So I think the first one was on the shop. Professional Farmer. Yeah, I'm going to say that was on the shop. But the second one, I don't remember seeing. Ice Trucker. Fishing Barrent's Sea. I'm going to pick the middle one. Ice Trucker. Ice Trucker, you say? Yep. Well done, sir. I am quite impressed. (laughs) Two for two. Two for two. I'm starting 2020 right. All right. (laughs) Yeah, you are. It's gonna make make Cody feel like an idiot. I Eric, can't. I can't. Eric, not so stupid. <laughs> All right, three more games from the Nintendo Switch shop. Ugh. This actually goes on with our, our next next uh, episode's uh, six good game segment. Okay. Which is uh, games that Peta would not approve of. Yeah. One of these games is fake. The other two are real. Eric, Frog Baseball, Strike Force Kitty, or Happy Animals Bowling. Repeat them for me. Frog baseball. Okay. Strike force kitty. Happy animals bowling. I'm going to say the fake one is frog baseball. Eric, you are three for three. Yes! I'm impressed. And he totally did not lean over and look at all my answers. I didn't. No, you didn't. I, That's I what promise. I said. Okay. That's exactly what I said. Okay. I thought you were being can sarcastic. The, can I was the like, repeat it back? I was like... <laughs> all right. Is All right, it? guys, we've got beer in us. We're done with the game so show. So that's it. I'm three for three. Yeah, that's it. You won. Man. Well, give yourself a pat on the back. I, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at... Uh, I'm going to have to study the eShop now every, uh, before every I know episode. I need to start going off a of PlayStation 4 because you don't have a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one. There true. we go. Hey, Eric. Hey. It's not news to everybody, but it's news to us. That's right. Reporting the All right, hard-hitting facts here from Pixel Guide In. Uh, first topic, Stern, mm-hmm. the maker of fine pinball machines, has come out with a new pinball machine. Eric, have you heard of it? I have not. You don't really follow pinball, but that's fine. I do not. True. Stranger Things. Oh. Yeah, super cool theme. Yeah. I'm stoked about it. I mean, um, it's kind of weird seeing so many things, Stranger Things. Like, if you walk into Barnes & Noble, like, there's toys and books and this and that but i love the show i, I actually really do it's a great it. show and we've I've, talked about the uh mobile game which i actually said is a mobile game worth playing it's so good yeah did um, I, when i was in barnes and noble last i saw a dungeons and dragons game the box set you know the the basic box set okay but it's stranger things right they so prob- i was like wow that's that show neat. probably single-handedly like tripled dungeons and dragons sales in the last seven years i would think it did yeah yeah um so that's super cool game because it's got the bit you know you got the the uh, government building in the middle. Yeah. And you have to knock down, you have to spell, I think, will, and knock all those down, and then the government building, like, drops into the board, and then you have the Demogorgon back there with its mouth open, you have to shoot balls into its mouth. That I, sounds pretty pinball's cool. Pinball's so cool. Yeah. Pinball's so cool. So I wonder when they're going to release the digital one. Uh, it'll probably, eh, they've been doing them quicker, right, because they have their own, um, their own thing on the pinball arcade now. It's pretty much just Stern games. I haven't I haven't hooked up my flip grip in a long time because it really is cool to play those pinball games with the flip grip. I, oh, yeah. I really enjoy it. So I want them to come out with a flip grip for uh, like a thirty-two inch flat screen. That would be neat. so we just shove it on the side and hold the whole thing. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only bummer is the last uh, I don't know for the last couple of years Stern's games have come out with um, artwork by various artists. Uh, one of them Zombie Yeti. I don't know if you've heard of Zombie Yeti. Um, 
these guys have been doing just really cool artwork on the Metallica pinball machine or on um, the Aerosmith pinball machine where they basically do their own original art and it's like high definition cartoon drawing but really kind of out there and comic booky and just really unique and uh, kind of a while back Stern was kind of a lot of people were ragging on them because they were getting these licenses for example Game of Thrones mm-hmm. where they had to just use these kind of really cheesy photoshopped stills from the movie and they looked terrible they looked like patchwork like Photoshop movie mosaics. And uh, unfortunately, Stranger Things kind of goes back to that. And I know it's not necessarily Stern's choice. It's probably the studio saying, no, here's the artwork. This is us. You have to use this. But Stranger Things would have been perfect for them to, to have an artist come in there and basically do a, you know, a, a high impact, bright neon pinball Stranger Things. You know. Can you imagine if they did like the art for the faces of like kids and stuff like in the old Atari twenty six hundred bo- <laughs> box art? That would be so like cool. This stuff I have up here. Yeah, exactly. Think about that. I mean, that would be pretty neat. Yeah, that would be really cool. And here I'm going to pull it up right now. Here's the uh, Stranger Things Stern pinball machine, so you can take a, a look. There's the Demogorgon with its <laughs> with its maw open. Um, you can play the trailer there. So here you can see the artwork. So they always make three different levels of their pinball machines. Oh. Basically, you know, good, better, best. We'll call it that. Oh. And they look almost identical because they basically are sticking with that exact color pattern. Even the sides of the machine are supposed to be different. But they look very similar. It's a nice color. Colors, though. Yeah. But, like, for example, let me see if I can find... Um, uh, let me find another game they've done recently that would better explain what I'm talking about as far as... Like, here's Iron Maiden. Um, Come on. Come on. And, of course, Iron Maiden already kind of has a look to it. There we go. So, can you see how there's the first two? They're kind of loading slowly here. But you can see how it's got their own kind of hand-drawn artwork. And the three versions look completely different. Yeah, they look way different than the Stranger Things ones. That's true. Yeah, the, the first one's got this kind of standard, I don't know, intense comic book look. The next one's kind of got a gold pharaoh's tomb kind of look with uh, scarabs and stuff. And then this last one's actually got red rails on it. Um, more blues and like sheet, uh, like what do you call that? Stainless steel kind of looking metal. Big old speaker grills. So they kind of differentiate themselves more. The Stranger Things, it all just looks like blue and red. I wonder, I wonder how many of these they make <clears throat> nowadays. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think... I know in their heyday, they were doing 20, 23,000 a game in their heyday. They dropped in the early 2000s as low as like three or 4,000 machines. And I think now they're back up to like 12, 14. Yeah, because I can imagine there's a resurgence per with, game. Yeah. And they're also up. They were down to almost almost down to one game a year. Now they're up to back to like three a year. Oh. Doing three games at 14,000 each yeah. ish. Yeah. I'm sure the numbers have changed since I've done research on it in a couple of years. But um, you can see these are just, you know, the last few years they have Batman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Wars, Star Trek, Iron Maiden, here's Deadpool, Beatles, Jurassic Park, Black Knight. Which is a new one, Black Knight, Sword of Rage, Munsters, uh, Elvira's House of Horrors, which is actually the third Elvira pinball, Star Wars, and uh, Stranger Things. Actually, they don't even show Aerosmith in here. I wonder if they stopped making that. I guess they did. Hmm. Um, there's a few other ones, too, that I don't see on here. But anyways, that's exciting to me. Yeah. Um, a couple of new games that came out uh, of note, in my opinion, on the Switch since we last talked. 
A lot of people are talking about Blasphemous. It's a Metroidvania. Ugh, I hate that. I shouldn't. I need to just stop saying it. Metroid style game. Uh, Hyper violent Metroid style game. Ooh. Um, extremely gory. Like imagine every death is a Mortal Kombat fatality. <laughs> um, but I bring it up because it's from Team Seventeen, which I just like to bring up because they're the classic Amiga developer that made all kind of cool Amiga games. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they, they made uh, Yoku's Island Express, which is not ultra violent. That was violent. them, huh? Yeah. Yoku's Island, that's such a cool game. It is. I also want to pull up uh, Jamestown is a game I've been looking um, at downloading on Steam for a long time. And it recently was released on the Switch. I was not even aware it was coming out. And I'm pulling up a little video of it right now. Um, you can see it is a crazy like cave-like shmup. Ooh. But it's not just a straight shmup. You actually beat levels and can go back and play them again. And it's... Um, Video doesn't really show it, um, but it's got like stages and stuff, so it's a lot more friendly than just you know typical five level shmup where you start at the beginning, die at level three, and have to do that over and over and over again. So it's finally on the Switch. It was on PlayStation Four, huh? No, I don't think it is. I think it was just on Steam. Oh, it says PlayStation Four down there. Oh yeah, there you go. I guess it is now. Thank you, YouTube, for teaching me. <laughs> um, I'm just glad to see things are coming to the Switch. Dude, the Switch is getting all the little indie games. Yeah. And it's the perfect fit for it. It looks great. This game looks really smooth. There you go. You get to see a couple of the you get a shop. There's challenges. I want to go back to that. Um, leaderboards. little map you can go through here. You can select which mission you want. So that's my biggest thing about shmups is the classic shmup is you just play it through and it kind of gets old quick. Yeah. Um, that's why I loved... Uh, what's it called? <laughs> The other one I showed you that you downloaded, totally blanking on it Star, right now. Um, Sky Knight? Or... <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, the other game <laughs> that, uh, yeah, we basically, you get to play the levels over and over and over again with a little different goal every time and collect yeah. coins if you can pass it, you know, with no deaths. Or I just played that again. No yeah, I love that game. But it was, was it Sky Force or Sky? Sky Force. Oh, Something man. Like I'm literally powering could, my switch so I could take a look. I remember the the icon thing is yellow and it says it's. Uh, so just go on Switch, look for the yellowish shmup big game. Big yellow. Um, I'm totally pulling on your headphones. Yeah, it was the yellow tile. Sky. Sky Force Reloaded is the one I have. You had you had a different one though. You. No, it's the one I got. Okay. Yep. Great I just game. played that again, like maybe last, like two weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yep, just to kick in it, just to kick it around, kick the tires. Well, yeah, and every time you play it, you work, you move your way yourself forward, so it's not like you, uh, you're wasting your time. Yep. Um, a couple other games that are coming out, I'm excited. Actually, I want to mention Bubble Bobble for Friends did come out a, a month ago, but not here. It didn't come out in the U.S. Oh, I thought it did. It's supposed to come out in February. Is last time I saw it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm kind of hearing negative things about it because maybe Aww. the press already got a hold of it or the, or whatever. Because yeah, I mean. I have a Japanese account. I can download it if it's a Japanese release. Uh, what I'm hearing is it's fun, just like the old Bubble Bobble, mm -hmm. and you can play up to four players, which is cool, but you'll be done, you'll beat it in about two to three hours, and it costs $45. Yeah, the price isn't right. The price isn't right. I don't mind games I don't mind games where you can beat it in a few hours. That's actually a bonus to me. It is to me, too, but not a, not, yeah, not not a full price game. No, I won't get it for that price. And then the last one I wanted to mention, this one I'm super excited about. There's a bunch. They did a whole another uh, Nintendo Indie Showcase where they show all these new games coming up. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of a sports story? I haven't. Eric, it's Golf Story 2. 
Is it really? Yeah. Oh, so wow. making a new golf story. Oh, that's neat. Except it looks like you kind of start playing golf, but then you eventually make your way onto a tennis court. And now you're doing tennis, and then you have like soccer. Like you play all these other random sports. Oh wow! But it's just like golf story with the RPG elements. Same kind of graphics. Yep, looks great. Um, again, I should probably just pull that up to show you, but sports story and switch. I heard all about this, and I got super excited because that was probably one of my favorite games I've played on the Switch so far. It's it was it's a lot of fun. I got close to beating it. I never finished it though. Oh, you didn't? Nope. Yeah, I finished, and that's a good game because it took me about ten, twelve hours, and I finished it. That's a good length, in my opinion, for about a twenty dollars game. The graphics look a, actually a little little better. Eh, I, yeah, they're pretty comparable. I I believe. They're comparable, but, but so here you go. He just hit a golf ball over to the tennis court, and this guy's like, "All right, first service," and now you're over here playing tennis, and of course running through halls and talking to <clears> teachers and. Anyways, I'm stoked about it. Yeah, that looks great. Oh, volleyball. He's playing volleyball, but he's kicking it. Now he's playing soccer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe finally a soccer game I can beat on a, on a console. <laughs> oh, that's right, because your uh, Sanrio game wasn't technically soccer. No, no, no. It was two square. <laughs> I actually almost downloaded that the other day. You need day. to. I need to. Well, I, I shouldn't say downloaded it. I almost played it the other day. What's the Vextreme? The Vextreme is a Vectrex flash cart. I need that. Now, finally... Now, you say a flash cart, so not SD, flash. This one's a flash cart. Um, you know what? I, you'd have to pull up this link. I don't remember if it's an SD card or not. It might be. I'm on it. I believe this is open source, so like, there's going to be somebody making them, so you can just go buy them, but you could make your own. There it is. So it does it say is, open source at this point. It is point. open source. There'll be people making this, and the price should be right around 40 bucks. That's it? Yep, so it should be cheap. Oh. That, that's what I read. Um, it this So I have a flash cart that you have to move dip switches. No, it's not a flash cart, though. It's a multi-cart. Multi-cart. Uh, th 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 there you go. So that's what it is. This won't be. This will, when you boot it up, will have a menu on the actual Vectrex screen, which is a first that I know of for the Vectrex. Mm. And you go through it and pick your game and you can launch it. I think it connect via USB to any device and it looks like a thumb drive. There you go. So it's not cool. tech. No SD card, but it's just as good. You just plug it in and the card looks like a USB thumb drive. It has uh, 16 megabytes of onboard storage, which is insane for a Vectrix. Yeah. Um, yeah, it says it equates to about 2,000 to 4,000 games. Mm -hmm. And the Vectrix is... For those who don't know, a really cool system with a screen built in, but it's a vector screen, so it draws really bright lines, white lines all over the screen to make shapes and things. Um, almost, I'm almost so excited like, about this. Yeah, it almost looks like an oscilloscope, like the game. Yeah, I've um, thought multiple times about getting the multi-carts, yeah. but I don't want to be limited to just whatever games they put on that, because I know there's other stuff out there. And that keeps me from using mine, is like that that what you get is what you get. I mean, yeah. and it's not bad. I think I have all the ones that came out back in the day. But I can't put a new homebrew on there. I can't put Time Pilot on there. I can't. I can't do any of that stuff. Even though I bought Time Pilot or, and and uh, and things like that. What I'm most excited about is there is a big and growing homebrew scene on the Vectrex, and I have no way to play the games other than through emulation. The only thing I have heard is that because you're using a vector, essentially uh, emitter. I don't know how what the uh, light emitter. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, how what you call that. I've heard that if a game is programmed poorly and it holds a dot in one spot at high intensity, it can like burn your screen. Mm, that's so possible, yeah. Quite literally, the software can destroy your hardware. 
So that does make me a little nervous here. Um, there's all kinds of crazy bright flashing LEDs on here. Now, see this? I think this is cool. This is kind of why I want it more than just the multi-cart. I don't really care about demos usually. Right. But on the Vectrix, they're showing this whale. Um, see it right here. This whale kind of demo demo called Beluga Dreams. And Beluga Dreams, yeah. There's a whale, and he's just kind of cruising around the screen. I guess he's just kind of sitting there. But I can imagine people doing like little disco girls dancing and stuff, which mm -hmm. they always put in all demos. That looks so cool on the vector screen. Which is, and another thing about the Vectrex, which I've talked about like early on, like in one of our first episodes, was when I first got my Vectrex, I was surprised how good the sound is. Like yeah, the, the sound, sound is solid. The sound chip is amazing on the Vectrex, and it doesn't really get enough credit. I think it's really, really good. Yeah, and, you know, from the era, probably second to the Sid, and nothing else. <laughs> I'm asking to on the spot rake it right now. Yeah, yeah that's it's, it's cool. And so, just say on here, twenty-five dollars in parts, right? Which is why it's probably going to go for about forty dollars. If you don't want to build it, which it does have surface-mounted parts, so it's not going to be the easiest thing to build yourself. If you don't want to do that, I've heard it's going to be about forty bucks. Somebody will build it. And then I like this part too. This cart's design should also be a great base for designing flash carts for other slower consoles like ColecoVision and Intellivision, etc. Which are both mm -hmm. well, the ColecoVision I own, and I do not have a cart for it. That would be very cool. Yes, the ColecoVision would be a great one to have a have a cart for because the the library is so um, it it. it it's a pretty good sized library for ColecoVision. Yeah, and some of those games are expensive. They are. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you want to rate this beer real quick before we forget? Oh yeah, we haven't gotten to our beer rating. All right. Well, this is. Uh, let's see. Checker flag. There's a checker flag on there and a graham cracker on. Um, <laughs> on a flagpole. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll do it out of uh, I don't know, thirty finish lines. 30 finish lines. Out of 30 finish lines, what do you give this beer, Eric? I'm going to give it a solid 28. It's my Ooh. favorite beer of the year. <laughs> you agree with me on that? I do. I, oh, I really man. like this I one. I really do, too. 28 is really high, though. It is, but I'm going to give it to it, because I love it. Oh, I'm right there, too. Mm. I'll, give it a, I'll give it a 27. Okay. I really like it, though. This is... Thank you again, guys. This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Doug, Toast, and... Um, Daniel, we really appreciate it. This is really good. The meeting of the minds. Mm -hmm. All right, the C64 has yeah. a uh, a new cousin out called D64. Yeah. It's out and about. I don't know if you've uh, done any research on this or heard much about it. But... I've heard a lot about it. Mm -hmm. All right. Your gut opinion based on what you've seen. So let me tell you what I think is the killer feature, and it's not even the system itself. The joystick that comes bundled with it now yep. has micro switches. Yes, it does. Which that is my was my biggest and one of my really only complaints about the C sixty four mini, um, because it because it was you got what you got. I mean, you knew that you weren't going to get a keyboard. You knew you weren't going to be able to type easily. With those limitations, you pull this joystick out and it's kind of crappy. I hated that joystick, and I I went I had to do so much work to try to get a usable controller to use with it. And I went out and just made. My own joystick. Yeah. Which is what I use. I don't use that original one. I had to put all kinds of buttons on the front to, you know, yeah. mimic all the new buttons. Yeah. I got it working and I use it. And so that's solid. But yeah, the joystick was worthless and people were doing all kinds of hacks to drive screws down the middle so that it wouldn't snap mm -hmm. off. And and I was looking for game pads that had mapping correct for the buttons yep. that you needed. Uh, 
I think that the and that's you can gonna, buy new joysticks outside of the the C sixty four or the sixty four. Yeah, as well, you can buy the new ones as soon as it gets here, which are basically right. competition pros, but with more buttons on it, right? Right. Yeah. So that's the killer feature for me. Otherwise, I've heard pretty good things. I've heard that like a lot of people were complaining it doesn't have a user port. If you're buying this to be a, C- a Commodore sixty four. You're not going to have a Commodore 64. It's not going to do that. So I just don't understand that criticism. It is the C64 Mini bigger, so you have a full keyboard, and that's what it is. It's more than that, Eric. Tell me what it I is. I will tell you why. So I will admit, I mainly watched the 8-bit guy do his review on it. Yeah. Okay. So my biggest issue with it mm-hmm. was fixed as well. Okay. So he went ahead and did a lag test, and he got the original... Uh, C64 Mini, mm-hmm. and did a lag test compared to, um, you know, an emulator on the same computer that was the same monitor, mm-hmm. and it was four, like four, three to four times the amount of lag, which made it unplayable for me for a lot of games. The lag was too much. I couldn't jump at the right time. I couldn't dodge things. It didn't work. This thing got it almost to uh, PC emulation levels. It was within like twenty percent. For the mini or for the for the big one? The, C- the big one. Okay, the good. Six, the 64. Because they fixed it on the mini a long time ago, right? Mm-mm. Oh, He wow. compared it to the that the fixed version. Oh. Hmm. I thought that had been fixed a long time ago. I think ago. it got better. Okay. Because I got the updated... Yeah. That was my biggest issue with it. Also, it's a VIC-20, not just a 64. Right. I read that. Also, when you boot it up, it asks you if you want to go to game loader, loader mode or if you want to go right into basic. And I think that's really cool. All the options it has, it has a ton more options. It's not it's not just the mini bigger yeah. with a keyboard. It's got more going on. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to see the VIC-20 mode, like if you could do the memory expansions, because I'd love to... I haven't really started playing that um, that uh, Realm Quest, Realm of Quest. Oh, you haven't tried that yet? Okay. I haven't played that yet, because uh, I've just been waiting for the right time. And plus, my VIC-20 is just not in the greatest shape. Really? It's got... It's like a lot of interference on the screen. Um so I was kind of thinking I'd toy around with play, playing it on that device if it came to the U.S. here pretty soon, but it's not here yet. So I don't know when it's supposed to make it over here. Yeah. Um, but if it does the memory expansion stuff right and the, the disk swapping stuff is easy enough and the microswitch controller, that's those are all big wins for me. I think I would, I, I would use that to play that game. Yeah. But we'll see. Are you a Bioshock fan, Eric? I did. I played the first Bioshock. It's what, I rented it on Gamefly. Uh, ooh, that's remember, retro. Do you remember that? That is retro now. <laughs> that was one game like I thought, you know what? I don't know if I like this game or not, so I'm going to rent it. I got it on Gamefly way back. And it was the I think it was one of the few games I got on Gamefly, but and I kept it for months because you could. With Gamefly, uh, you didn't yeah, have to return it. Yeah, it was just a it. monthly rental rate, yeah. You just keep it until you return it and get, get your next one. I kept it for three or four months. and On and, a similar note, Redbox is stopping their video game rental Are service. they really? Yep. Yeah, they'll do DVDs only now. I didn't. I didn't hear that. Yeah. That's that's news. Yeah, there you go. More news. You More heard news. it here first, folks, on Pixel Guide In. So, uh, so one I, month late. <laughs> I will tell you this. I don't remember a ton of details about it. I do remember I liked the game, and I remember I got really far. If if I didn't beat it, I might have. I just don't remember. Gotcha. Yeah, Bioshock hit my buttons perfectly. Mm-hmm. It was a first person shooter. It was like creepy and scary, but not a horror game necessarily. Yeah. Um. Underwater, which I don't know why I love underwater, and it's that that um, kind of world trapped in the past thing. It's like the mm-hmm. 1940s or 1930s, but 
um, with some kind of crazy Elon Musk type that's thinking about the future and creating all these robots and things, but it didn't work out right, and you're trying to figure out why. Right. So it's kind of old-timey radios and like kind of like Fallout where they have the happy-go-lucky advertisement, you know, that's all destroyed and and uh, corrupt now, and you kind of laugh about how cheesy it is, and I just love that aesthetic. Yeah, what were the what were the um the those the bad guys that were running around? What were they called? Um, were they just called like uh, Big Brothers? Big Brothers, and then yeah. they were little sisters, right? The little sisters were like the doped up little girl children running all over the place. That's what it was, yeah. Uh, so and I that never was creepy. I never yeah. played Bioshock Two, just even though I heard great things about that too. I didn't play that, either. but I knew that you played as a Big Brother. Oh, and it didn't. That doesn't interest me. I don't know why. I want to be the underdog. I don't want to be this big, huge bulk. I don't know. It just didn't interest me. I did play Bioshock Infinite, which is a kind of a whole different thing where you're in the sky instead of underwater. It was also a very cool game, mm. kind of an old timey thing. A lot more people around. You weren't you weren't isolated. Uh, but the reason I mentioned all this is they've announced uh, Bioshock Four is in production, wow. which I am very excited about. Did are this going to be on the next gen consoles? Most likely. Yeah. I mean, in production can, nowadays could mean anything. Um, that's that's one thing I like about the Switch is their way of doing they'll their big games. They'll say, "Hey, this is coming out sometime in fall 2020," right? Mm-hmm. But then they have games. They'll be like, "Hey, here's a new game that's coming out. You'll see it in seven days." Or, "Hey, Tetris uh, multiplayer is out now. Like we're announcing it, and it's here, and it's ready to go and go." Yeah, I love that. It's so cool. Yep. Oh, I'm on the You're next up. one. Awkward right. silence. So we're going to have to... I might need you to do some props here. This mm. is... Oh, we're on we're on this part. All right. Yeah. So I'm unplugging the HDMI from my laptop. While I will explain what is going and on I here. And I am plugging in what appears to be a Sega Genesis Mini. Yeah. So I was on Twitter and someone had mentioned that Project Lunar came out just at the end of December. Project Lunar. I have not heard of this yet. Project Lunar was the initiative to finally and cleanly mod the Genesis Mini. You so say finally. You... It hasn't been that long, but the Nintendo ones were packed in like a week. So Right, right. The, it, it, it took a little bit longer. Relatively. Um, yeah. And I, it, there may have been some kind of like other hacks before this, uh, but they weren't clean. You know, they were, okay. they were probably pretty hard to do. This is... Uh, this was pretty easy to do. Gotcha. Um, let me grab the controller here. Was that the noise it just made? No, that's it, oh. that's loading up so you can load up some run. <laughs> so here we are. Oh, wow. Check that out. It looks completely different. Yeah. So there would be... Uh, so basically, this was a nice, neat package. You download a program. You literally push some buttons on here in a certain way, and it puts it in boot mode. It loads this in. It was easy to do. Now, it's not... This is still a very early version. This is 1.0. Everything works, but it's not polished completely yet. So there's still going to be some work done on this. So this this is, though... This is firmware now. This is the firmware, yeah. So you have a USB plugged in, but that's not the USB. This is built into your Genesis Mini now. The only reason I added this was because I added some 32X and Sega CD ROMs. Oh, that might come into handy later. That's what I wanted to show you. But you don't need this at all. This all The hack all happens on the Genesis. Cool. So you don't need to do anything. So you have three things here. One's emulation station. This doesn't work yet. You have Project Lunar, which when you go into it, it pretty much is the... Uh, the same interface as your Genesis, but you can add titles now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see I added Aladdin. That's not that wasn't a 
Okay. And it works perfectly. Now, I did load in Truxton, because that's one of my favorite shmups yeah, on the Genesis. Yeah, good one. It, the sound doesn't work yet. So uh, there really? are still games that aren't compatible with the emulator on here, the M2 emulator. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you heard that M2, which is... Oh, Zangief. M2, which is, the, which is a legendary game designer for the Genesis. They made the emulator Porter. on here. But certain games just don't work on it so there oh, i saw there, yeah there that one this one yeah that's that? retroarch i'll show it to you so oh, okay, we're gonna okay. go back to this um so that that's fine you can do, uh, load most of the roms on project lunar but if you go here this is retroarch okay retroarch retroarch i don't know, I don't know. and you can go into a lo lo load a core we'll just do wow. whatever we'll do this one load content this is the my USB drive. Okay. <laughs> Calibri, right? Hey, you already loaded it up. So you go right we'll, here. We'll talk about that soon. Yep. And there it is. Cool. And you can adjust the... I haven't... The, I literally did this like two hours before we started this podcast. Yeah. So I didn't tune things. You can tune the screen. You can tune, you know, the... What did they call it? The scan lines or whatever you want to do, but... Um, I played a little bit of this it, Calibri and it yeah. works fine. I played Star Wars Arcade, which is my favorite oh, 32X yeah, title. Cool. It looks perfect. It sounds perfect. Um, so I'm excited by this because you can supposedly play any RetroArch core, so NES, SNES, all that. But I like these minis as they are. So, but to be, to be able to play Genesis 32X and Sega CD all on the same box. That kind of works because it all would play through a Genesis. Correct. And I don't yeah. have no interest in putting NES because I have that everywhere else. Yep. So, let me look at the graphics on this. Yeah. It's looking pretty sweet, right? Yeah. That's awesome. So, anyway, um, my point in showing you this was that it's easy to do. It's literally, you'll install a program on your Windows machine. Um, you... You plug it in, to, you, you push these buttons down, you plug in the Genesis into that, you run the install, it installs. It took, my install took probably 20 minutes. Huh. And it's done. And then it, the little program is just as easy as, as Hackchi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, you just drag and drop ROMs in there, it goes and gets the art for you. Cool. So it, it fills in the art and the spine and everything. Yeah. So there you go. Looks good. Yep. That's cool. I like how it does 32 uh, X and CD and... I don't feel like that violates the, that the came, concept of the system. And that came with it. Those are the only two cores that come with RetroArch on here. Okay. So it's nice because there's nothing more you need to do if you don't want to play all these other cores, which yeah. I don't. So yeah. uh, I know. If I, just, if I want to do that, Eric, I'll just go buy another Mini. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a 32X? <laughs> I do. Yeah, that thing... It's, right there. Yeah, I mean that thing has so many like extra cables it gets and wires. Finicky, yeah. It gets very weird trying to keep track of all that stuff because I don't use my 32x all that much. Yeah, so no, it gets finicky. But I'm going to try to do it uh, on original hardware. But this would be a nice backup. In fact, I actually don't have a good way to play Sega CD except for to use a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. So now I that, downloaded. This could be cool. I downloaded one Sega CD before I ran out of time. Before I had to come here, it was Robo Alest. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, I just sat there and it was black screen. So mm. it didn't work. Again, they're still working on this. So gotcha. um, I'm hoping that some other titles will work, but I haven't had time to test. But anyway, Project Lunar, if you guys want to go down, the the show notes will have all the links and everything. Cool. So we'll switch this back out. I like it. Yeah, go ahead and disconnect that HDMI. Uh, Samurai Showdown Complete Collection is coming. Now, I'm not huge on fighting games. 
I do like actually Samurai Showdown is kind of cool because it's actually like a, a sword fighting game rather than a you know Street Fighter clone. Samurai Showdown was one of my favorites. I mean, I, on 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 that particular system. Uh, what system is that? Neo Geo. Neo Geo. Okay. Yeah. Because well, the King of Fighters is is nice, but Samurai Showdown was one that I actually would go back to more and more than King of Fighters. Yeah, I heard it's more slow and. Um, um tactical mm -hmm. rather than just ma mashing buttons and doing combos it's more right. like uh trying to find each other's feints and follow them and block them and then counter attack and whatever yeah anyways the reason i bring it up is i just like that they're doing this uh it has all kinds of different samurai showdowns in it including the neo geo pocket version oh wow which is the cool like pixely chibi version but neo geo pocket games are really good even the they are fighters. really good yeah so I, th I just thought that was cool. And of course, that's coming out to, I'm sure, I know it's coming out to Switch and I'm sure other systems as well. Um, this this thing kind of blew up on Twitter, at least for our UK friends. Uh, the UK Royal Mail is coming out with new stamps this, that are all old retro video games. And they're pretty slick. I, I saw like a little diorama of, of all of them or a little, not diorama, but a slideshow of them and they look, they look really cool. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, Lemmings. Um, Let's see if I put retro video games here, if I pull them up. There we go. And the the neat thing is they are all UK-based games, like games that were made in the UK. That'd be weird if they didn't pick UK-based games. Oh, they could be just celebrating retro games in general. That's true. Okay, a new set of 12 stamps, um, which I just clicked away from the website. Here we go. Uh, some of them are weird to me. Um, Tomb Raider makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elite, mm -hmm. Dizzy, Populous, uh, Lemmings, Micro Machines, Sensible Soccer, Worms, and the one that was weird to me was actually Wipeout, which what? is like a 3D racing game on the PlayStation. I, I, man, I used to play that to death on the PS1. Yeah, I never got into it. I was a Nintendo 64 owner at that time. Um, I do have a couple of wipe, wipe, Wipeout games for like the PSP and stuff, but I just didn't, I don't know, that doesn't feel retro to me. I guess it is, but... Yeah. Lemmings definitely is. Elite definitely is. Although I saw someone comment, they looked at this and were laughing because it's a really good depiction of Elite and everything that you can see in the game of Elite. But I guess you see three enemies in front of you, but they're not on the radar. Um, there's a few other things in here, I guess, that can't actually happen in the game. <laughs> um, I don't know what they are. It's but a good effort. Yeah. Looks good. Anyways, pretty cool. They're all good games. Um, I, don't know if, eh, I don't know if I can play through Tomb Raider nowadays. I don't know. I like it. Too pointy. <laughs> Too pointy. <laughs> MB03 Plus Ultimate. Yeah, you might want to pull this up, too. So this is a new ZX Spectrum. I actually did see this thing. Uh, new ZX Spectrum peripheral that does a whole lot of things in one system. Um, it, If I remember right, it, it'll do things like load games, of course, but it will also do... I believe, let me look here. <laughs> um, from the Czech Republic. Uh, this is made by, oh, I can't print. Uh, Jan Kusera. Kusera. I'll just say Kusera. We'll Americanize it. Um, 
Yeah, he shoved a whole bunch of stuff into a cart that's uh, relatively compact, I guess, for what it is. It's a white cart. It looks really slick. It actually is. I like the the design. Yeah. It's actually got a little digital display on the front that can that can have show s- information. Have you seen that? It, like when it's playing music, it'll do the, like, the little equalizer graphs. Yeah. That's very neat. And, and even though it does so many things that I don't think Eric and I can both co- comprehend what it can do, it shows a picture of it when they were working on the prototype. And you see literally like four or five different motherboards sticking over out of the back of a Sinclair that yeah. he shoved into one motherboard in a box, nice clean little box. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it is huge, but it's amazing how much they did miniaturize it from the prototypes. And it works on pretty much any original Spectrum, it looks like. So let's see. I mean, there's enhanced sound. Um, there's the div With MMC. an interface, not just the sound itself, but an interface. Yep. Uh, there's div MMC. There's a mini jack for stereo sound output. Um, there's RF composite let me see here rgb yep so there's video out um two usb ports so you can plug in a standard usb mouse um widespread uh kempston mouse standard all Um, kinds of supported sound interfaces yep of course it's got a db9 joystick port yep led matrix display for cool factor (laughs) (laughs) real-time clock that's kind of interesting uh the uh, the additional there's optional wi-fi so that you can be able to connect to BBSs and stuff. That's pretty neat. Internet relay chat, like you could do IRC from your Spectrum. Uh, this is going to be RS-232, so that means you, you will be able to actually connect through to BBSs with it. It's crazy. Which is one thing I've... You know how I like to get all my machines connected to BBSs? The one machine I still have never done is the ZX Spectrum. Oh, yeah. It just wasn't... I don't know if it was very popular or what the deal was. It's just not easy to do. Gotcha. Well, maybe this device will do it easily. Maybe. Um... And then, of course, with all the stuff shoved in there, it's pretty cool that it's still powered off just the uh, the built-in power. Mm-hmm. So, neat. So, anyway, I thought that was a pretty neat. It's nice to hear about ZX Spectrum peripherals. Yeah, I have no idea what the price point is. I don't think they've mentioned that yet. Uh, I can't imagine this thing being cheap. It's got a lot in it. There's it's, so much. It's got a full FPGA in it. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. So, that I mean, that bare cost is 50 60 bucks. just that, you know. Yeah. So, my guess would be 150 200 something like that. Um, if you just want to play games, I I think I'm still sticking with my my oh, yeah. MMC future. But this thing will do a whole lot more. Again, if you're not into simulations and doing old things on old computers that aren't games, yeah. But cool that it exists. Yep. Absolutely. Now, now your next one here really interested interested. Well, I inter- don't know enough about this to be honest with you, but uh, Crix, who makes all the EverDrives. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been releasing all kinds of updates for his old hardware, even though he's come out with new versions of the hardware. Um, so he just did an upgrade on the uh, Nintendo N8 EverDrive. And I think it did a couple of different things, but the main thing it does now is have has save states. Which I know it didn't have before. Uh, some of his ha- have save states and some don't. So Okay. Well, this is a software, a firmware update. Right, right. So you should be able to flash it and do that now. I don't have the details. I'm not going to pretend I know how to do it. Now, one thing that always kind of irks me is is sometimes he'll come out with new versions of his cartridges, and then the, the he'll release firmware updates for those newer c- cartridges. Yeah, he's releasing a new cartridge as well as releasing firmware for the old version right now. Yeah, so I'm hoping that, because I got the very first NA EverDrive, mm-hmm. the first model, so I'm hoping that that'll work, because I, would, I love save states. I believe so. mine's the same, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll read up more on it, and I will definitely do it if it's if it's available. Do you want to read this one from our boy Tim, who sure. uh, who will join us in the next episode? But yep. So this is a game released on Intellivision. 
It is Pappy Commando, which is a weird name. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the Pappy comes from. Or is it Poppy? Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. But it is it is basically Commando on a television, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, and we mentioned last episode there was like three upcoming games for Intellivision. Yeah. I can't remember if this was one of them or not. but I, It may have been. Otherwise, this is the fourth. But um, I'll go ahead and just say it here, even though we're not catching up. I couldn't help, help myself. I went and bought an Intellivision. Oh, so nice. So it's coming. I don't have it yet. Oh, okay. But I got the classic fat, big wood grade one. Yeah. And uh, that's why I want that, that. We just looked at that cart for the Vectrix. They mentioned how that cart might be able to be um, kind of redesigned to do a Intellivision and ColecoVision. Oh, yes, please. Did you get any games with it? Is it it's coming with some games, and I made sure oh, I got it with the, uh, uh, the voice module and, oh, and a couple of voice games. Good. Yeah. So I got everything I need, except... Um, now, the thing is, even if we do get an Intellivision cart, of course, I'll be able to play games like Poppy Commando and stuff. What I do love about kind of some of these archaic systems, more than I like the collecting for new systems, is with the Intellivision, if I get a boxed game, it comes with the little inserts for your controllers. That's right. You don't get those software-wise. Those you need to have mm-hmm. the boxed copy. So I'm excited about that. I have a feeling that with all these new games coming out and some of these uh, flash drive solutions, I think the Intellivision is going to start getting more popular. Um, I want to get onto it before the price starts going too high. The games are really inexpensive, boxed and complete. They're only like two or three bucks. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, they're kind of Atari level, but with full box copies, because everyone kept the boxes for Intellivision because you needed to keep everything together. Yeah. They didn't just chuck them like they did with all the other systems. I've been looking... I've, I have some, like, eBay alerts and Craigslist alerts for Intellivisions. Uh, I just haven't found one that I, it's in good enough shape for me to really take seriously, so... <laughs> you know, I, want, I don't want one that it's hard to find those really older, early 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s consoles. It's hard to find them in decent shape. Yeah. So, yeah, for, I, I, I actually looked for a few weeks before I finally pulled the trigger on one. Oh, okay. Um, I think I got a pretty good deal. I paid a little more than bo- rock bottom, but it, I saw pictures of the parts I was worried about. The controllers spread from the cords and, you know, fray, and you can see all the individual connectors inside. Yeah. The individual uh, conductors, I should say. And I don't want that <laughs> right. on a good quality system. So Tim has another one here. Yeah, and I, I didn't read this, so I'm just going to read what he wrote here in our notes. New monster joysticks. Sega Mega Drive Genesis joystick. Not available yet, but you can pre-order them from monsterjoysticks.com. I, I'm going to... I This will be like in the next two or three months. I'm going to order some stuff from Monster Joysticks. They look like they have some really slick things. Now, I'm guessing they're UK-based? Yes. Because he did an interview, or not an interview, a review on one. Where he put one together. Yeah, but one of recently. those. Yep. And uh, wh- did he do it for a specific, I can't remember if it was a specific system, or if it was just a DB9 that he could plug into anything. I think he did the PC Engine one, didn't he? It was PC Engine. Oh yeah, so that's going to have a proprietary plug on it. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Now they also, I'm looking at their website here, um, and they do look slick. They're kind of like a plastic... Um, uh, what do you call that CNC machine where it comes mm-hmm. that just kind of cuts out the plastic you just kind of pop it together yep. kind of like the um, what's the uh, the device for Macintosh for the Apple's the floppy email oh yeah it's yeah got the, uh, the clear acrylic. acrylic that's been cut out exactly yeah, yeah. Um, although that that Apple thing is like a like origami like trying to put that thing together yeah that one's not quite this one actually uses screws which is convenient yeah um, but they do make uh, I want the Raspberry Pi kit I want to throw a Raspberry Pi in there and build me another because I've built a couple of these where it's uh, all in one, all in one. 
uh, I want to do the final one where I'm just happy with it. And because all my other ones I gave away to people because I was like, oh, okay, now that I built it, I'm not that interested in it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to build one because my <laughs> arcade, my main arcade is just falling apart. It's just getting Is it really now. getting that bad? It looked yeah. solid last time we used it. So, yeah, I just, I didn't need to replace it. So having just one plug it into the TV is going to be pretty sweet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking at all the sticks now. They even make ones that are a little less expensive that have, that are made out of uh, cut wood. Yeah. The burnt wood. It almost looks like balsa wood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen this stuff used. They use it a lot for board games for making like, uh, you know, yeah. little sets where you put all your cards and your dice and trays and things. Yeah. And they work really well for that. But for the extra 10 pounds, I guess I would get the uh, acrylic here. Yeah. Looks a lot better. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Um, well, we are doing an interview later here in the episode. So I'll go ahead. I'll mention it now with uh, Stefan Vogt. Hmm. Yeah, I try to say it right there. Yeah. Actually, it's Focht. It, it's Focht. It's F long O C H T is how you pronounce it. I've learned this, but it's V O G T. Focht. Excellent. Um, we're, we're getting so multicultural. I know, right? This is, this is something else. But the reason I bring that up is uh, his dad engine uh, just allowed a guy by the name of Blurkotron okay. to convert his text adventure, Unhallowed to the C64, the Plush 4, and the Amstrad CPC using the, da- the I say the DAD engine, D-A-A-D, the DAD engine. Um, so if you want to learn more about that project and how that works, listen to the interview, because uh, Stefan joined us, and it was pretty cool. It was, a, it was a fun little, fun interview. He talked a lot. I had to cut a lot out, um, so we'll have to talk about trying to get the full version out there somehow. Cool. Um, the Akira prototype Genesis game was found. So, uh, for Akira, like from the Jan- Japanese anime? Yep, absolutely. And uh, Which I, was looking I, at, I never watched that, so I don't know much about it, but I, I've seen... I, I haven't either. Yeah, I've seen like a, clips and stuff of it, so I kind of get the gist of what it's about. I don't. I can't t- get the gist out of any of those, regardless how much I... Even if I watch the movie, I don't know what the gist is. <laughs> They're all staring at each other, and then screaming, and then like, stars are flying behind them, and then they're crying and i don't know, I, I i have a hard time with typical anime i'm sorry but it is cool that another game was found here we're trying to get through the advertisement so i can show eric um it's a really unique game it looks like they were really uh they really tried to go out and create something new and different and uh, i don't know why it didn't get released or anything um definitely wasn't finished but kind of cool cutscene here with some scrolling parallax um it starts off with this cool motorcycle, like, yeah. uh, hang-on, actually. That looks very hang-on. Not hang-on, uh, Road Rash, because he's actually yeah, punching I mean. yeah, yeah. off the side. And then, uh, fast forward about two minutes here, all of a sudden it's a first-person shooter. Um, but he's real, using his hand, no gun. Yeah, a really choppy first-person shooter, where it's like almost like a dungeon crawler, but first-person shooter dungeon crawler. And then further on in the game, you'll see here it's a side-scrolling action game. Um, but this is where I noticed like enemy hits aren't actually hitting him. He's just punching things. But I mean, the graphics actually look pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the hit detection is terrible right now. You can tell it wasn't play tested well and stuff, but, or didn't get to that point. Um, yeah, but they found a prototype, new game. It looks good. It's one of those games where it has a lot of different gameplay modes. Here's one where they're in like a little speeder thing. And of course it's glitching out like crazy, but they can go up, down, left, and right. It's almost like a maze that they're trying to figure out. Hmm. Um, check out how the uh, the point of view perspective changes right here. Yeah, I That's see that. That's pretty cool. Almost like parallax. 
So, anyways, Akira Genesis or Mega Drive, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Game found. And then a new 64 game announced, Eric. Yep. So, this is by our buddy Graham Axton, Patreon supporter extraordinaire. Yes, thank you, Graham. Yeah. And for making brand new Commodore 64 games in 2020. Yep, and I, I had to keep a lid on this one because I did the NTSC beta testing for this game. Did you really? No. Yep, and I You and, didn't even tell me, you jerk. And I have to say... You I think guess... I was a leaky faucet? <laughs> you jerk. And you I know get... what, just for that, I'm going to play the new sound clip I, cop- I I took from our last episode. i got to admit I didn't juggle dudes as much <laughs> as maybe I should have. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's what you get eric <laughs> juggling dudes <laughs> do you know what we were talking about when i snagged that juggling dudes i'm, I'm gonna to... admit i didn't juggle dudes as much as maybe i should have <laughs> oh man uh you haven't figured it out yet have you <laughs> no what were we talking about i don't think i want to tell you i think i want you to worry about it for the rest of the episode i'm gonna leave it hang for a while uh, i i have <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it. I'm, uh, I love it. I'm securing my masculinity. <laughs> um, jungle dudes. Well, yeah. That'd have been a game. We can't say it another time, otherwise we get the PG-13 label. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, right, he, we? he made a version of Manic Miner for the C64 called mm-hmm. 64DX. Oh, Manic okay, Miner yeah, yeah. 64DX. Now, there was a Manic Miner on the Commodore 64, but it, it, it wasn't based on the ZX Spectrum version. This one is actually more in line with the actual ZX Spectrum version. Um, and it plays very smoothly. It plays very well. And I guess I need to say that I need to add this to my list of games that I technically beat, because when I was beta testing this, I got through every level. Wow. Um, and it's a hard game. You know Manic Miner. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I love game. Manic Miner. I'm, it's actually uh, I mean, it's a, it's a port. It is. It, so, is. it is a port. In fact, this but was... But I already love Manic Miner, so I'll give this one a shot for this sure. This was a... Because I played the C64 version, um, and and if I remember right, when this starts, there's different modes you can... St- Ooh, excuse me, that beer. Oof. It's good, right? Yeah. Good the second time. <laughs> um, you can p- select the versions to play, like when you do... Uh, we're in the beginning of the of this game when, when you start, and I think one of them's the... Not the... I can't remember now if it's the original version. I, I, I tested this like last month. But anyway, give this a shot. It's it's really, it's it's a very good version of Manic Miner. It's very more in line with the ZX Spectrum version. Okay. Um, and I did have the honor of beta testing it, so it was pretty, That's pretty really fun. That's really cool. Yeah. So breaking news, you heard it here first. Actually, you didn't. Manic Miner DX was released on, uh, they told it on Indie Retro News, didn't they? They did, yeah. You know, Eric, I think we might have an exclusive later. Though. Ooh. I need you to listen to that interview with Stefan Falkt. Falkt. Oh, I'll definitely, I'm definitely going to listen to it. He mentions at the very end of that a game that I don't know if he was supposed to mention, but he mentioned it knowing full well that we were recording this for the podcast. And uh, he doesn't give too much away, but there's another game coming out there. And I think uh, Graham had a hand in that one as well. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So listen for that interview. I want I you will. to listen to that interview. I will, definitely. Um, speaking of Commodore 64. Okay. Cytronic releases a ton of new box games for pre order. This is cool. This is exciting for me. Okay. Um, first of all, Shadow Over Innsmouth, which is a Cthulhu game I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah, I heard about this. Box copy of that. Um, they're also going back and releasing some other games that I don't think ever had a box copy. Mars, Matchstick, Rotator, and uh, Realms of the Quest Quadrilogy. Quadrilogy, yeah, all four of them. All 
five of those games total. Yeah, those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. four, four, four quest for games. The yeah, Realms yeah. Quest. Yeah. So it is a good time to go get box copies. I need to bite the bullet and uh, and get a box copy Commodore sixty four game. I need to just go do it. Yeah, I've got a few now. Yeah, and I always look at Tim's pictures of his room that uh, that we end up seeing. He's got all the the new modern Commodore releases on posters on his wall. Yeah, I get jealous. <laughs> Not that I have room for them in here, but yeah, you're running out of room. Yeah, in fact, Sam and Max is falling over there. I need to I need to tag that guy back up there. Yeah, but um. Uh, another game that came out that I actually did play already, mm-hmm. uh, on the Sega Master System, Voyage, a, Sorcer- a Sorceress's Vacation. Oh, wow. Um, so this game is, and this is kind of relevant to our last episode, this g- game is, uh, shoot, <laughs> Alex the Kid in Miracle World. Yeah. Uh, it's that engine, and they took that engine and basically changed everything and made a whole new game out of it. It hmm. definitely has the the feel, the physics of Alex Kidd, but it's a whole different game. Um, you're a little sorceress, and instead of punching, you have a cane you kind of attack with. It's more side-scrolling, uh, rather than going up, down, left, and right all over the place. Um, there are the swimming levels, though, still. And I played a good chunk of it, and it was, it's pretty fun. Oh, cool. It's just a free, freely downloadable? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. Download it. Sounds good. Um, I've noticed Game & Watch has been getting a, a lot of love lately. Yeah. Um, Dr. Tilly. Have you, have you seen him on uh, Twitter? I have not. Um, well, I mentioned it before. He made a huge Game & Watch that he takes to events and things, and it's literally like I've a seen pictures like, yeah. TV that's been turned into a Game & Watch. Cool. And I totally want to make something like that. Uh, there's also been a lot of conversions lately of Game & Watch games to, like, the Commodore. Um, and another one was just uh, released. And that would be the parachute game. Hmm. Um, actually, this one came over to the Spectrum. So parachute game and watch title. They're very simple games, but they're fun. Yeah, and they're getting all these these ports over to the Commodore and Spectrum. So there's a new one. And I remember seeing one of those. I forget what system it was on, but it it literally looks like a game and watch, like the buttons and the controllers yeah, yeah. and everything, right? And then it has a little screen. Uh, is that the same way it is on the ZX Spectrum too? Uh you know, I can't remember off the top of my head. Let me see if I can do Xenex Spectrum Parachute. There you go. Oh, this says Walkthrough. This isn't it. This is a different parachute game. It's a different one. Who would have thought there'd be more than one game called the same thing on the Spectrum, which has <laughs> how many total games? Game & Watch meets the ZX Spectrum. There's there you the, go. Yeah, there's the indie retro news thing. Oh, there you go. So this one does look like just a screen. Yeah. It doesn't have the buttons showing. Yeah, but I mean that looks just like the Game and Watch, and you know the, the hard black yep. stick characters, and then the colored background. Um, yeah, that looks exactly like it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And there's the actual the actual game there. <laughs> I just think they're so cool. I, I don't know what it is. In, in fact, they even have the screen here where they show every every uh, possible every element liquid crystal display filled in. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. Cool. Yep. Uh, I want to give you guys a arcade one up update. Uh, new games coming out. Burger time. Yeah, it's coming out, which is a cool looking cab. Mm-hmm. In fact, my buddy John and I had another night of drinking and smoking and playing in the in the shed, and we played Burger Time like more than half the time. Um, the cab also includes Karate Champ, Bad Dudes, Caveman Ninja as well. Uh, they're also coming out with arcade one ups, Marvel Superheroes cab. Yeah. Which includes X-Men, Children of the Atom, and The Punisher, which are all scrolling beat-em-ups. 
Yeah. In fact, I've got X-Men on right here in the background. Um, my only bummer about these two machines, and it's just me being me, is they are arcade1up.com exclusives. You can only buy them direct. Whoa, yeah. yeah so they're, they're never going to go on sale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, this next one's really cool. I'm excited about these next two, which are not released yet, but they're coming up. NBA Jam, including the Tournament Edition and Hang Time. Cool. That's a good The Tournament jab. Edition, I love that game. I play that all the time. Yeah. Uh, Golden Axe uh, also includes the Revenge of Death Adder, Shinobi, and Wrestle War. Ooh. So those are all coming up. Yeah, Golden Axe will be a fun one. Yeah. Now, I wanted to do our... Every once in a while, we check in on Hyperkin and see what they're up to. Uh, have you heard of the Retron Jr. yet? No. This is actually... For the most part, I'm like, cool, the Hyperkin's making another system. I'm glad, you know, someone out there will want that. This is pretty cool, Eric. Um, they are coming out with the, we'll go back there in a second, the Retron Junior. I'm trying to find, here we go. I saw the gizmondo.com. It's a very tiny little cute, looks almost like an Ouya. Yeah. And it lets you play all your Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games on, you know, it's a, it's a console. So there we go. We got it up, and you can see it's a black and orangish box here. They've got Pokemon here. This is actually the IGN website I found that, that has it here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it looks it's a small little square like an Ouya, but it's got the Hyperkin triangle taken out of the corner. Yeah. Looks pretty straightforward. Power reset. There's a USB port in the front, so you can play. It looks like it come with, uh, comes with like a Super Nintendo-style... Um, looks almost like a wireless controller. But yeah, if that's the way you want to play your, your Game Boy games on a big screen... That looks slick. I like that. You can see the outputs in the back. They've got a... Uh, what is that thing? <laughs> I, I think that's, that's mini... Mini HDMI? I, I would think that's mini HDMI, or that could be the way that you power it with, like, the mini... Uh, is that... Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Nah, I'm sure they have HDMI out. Yep, you'll find an HDMI port. There you go. And then the composite. Yep. As well as the USB-C port, so... Um, I don't know what the price is, but they're usually pretty reasonable in these things. I, I would be surprised if it was more than fifty bucks. Yeah, I'd, I, I would, I would hope, man, if it played the uh, EverDrive carts. I think it will. I mean, I so I used um, that cart that I shoved in my Super Nintendo that basically allows the video to go straight out the back of the cart, but yeah. then use the Super Nintendo controller. Yeah, and it plays my EverDrive fine. Hmm. Works great. So I think it will. Slick. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. I I think I'd get that. I've been I I I've, I've been really wanting a good way to play mobile games on a bigger screen because I I play my Switch docked more than undocked. Yeah, and I think I would play more GBA games, especially if I had a way to put them on the big screen cleanly. Yeah, yeah. Three new things I'm actually really excited about from Hyperkin just by looking at their website here. Yeah. Uh, first of all. This is this is more unique than I'm excited about, but it's called the Ranger. It is a premium wired gamepad, quote unquote, for the Atari 2600, and it says and or the Revtron 77, which is their fake 2600. Yeah. So you can plugs right in. Uh, it makes it basically a a control pad. You have a instead of a you have a thumbstick instead of a yeah big stick. You've got a button, but then on the side you, you have also a, have uh, a, the it's like a thumb wheel. Uh, well, you, I, if you turn it on your side, it's a um, paddle. It's paddle. Nice. Yeah, all in one. Um, looks looks pretty slick. I think they're about 30 bucks, if I remember right. So I imagine that would actually even work on like the Commodore 64, right? It should. Yeah, because it's 9-pin. Yeah. I mean, they're saying it's for the Atari 2600, but it's a 9-pin. It should work on everything. Yeah. That might be worth picking up. 
I'm going to jump over here to the Specialist. What does that look like to you? Yeah, that's a TG16 PC Engine style controller. It absolutely is, with the actual correct control uh, port and an adapter. So it doesn't matter if you have a Turbo Graphics or an actual PC Engine, you can plug this in. That's really neat. Which, those things are getting pricey, and mine's not very reliable. The turbo buttons are very flaky. Yeah. I kind of have to put it where I want it and wiggle it until it does what I want it to. Yeah. So brand new Turbo Graphics controller. And then they're also hopping into this kind of pancake controller for the uh, Nintendo 64 here as well. Although theirs is uh, wireless. Oh, cool. Yeah. That thing's like 40 bucks, though. Yeah. So some good options there on controllers. Yeah. Spend I, I, more cash on controllers. I want to get that that Ranger. That's, the Ranger. Give that a shot. If the paddle works with the C64, that would be really neat. So there's a new Commodore 64 conversion of uh, King's Valley. Did you ever play King's Valley? I only played that game because I heard it was one of the big titles for, I want to say, the Atari 800? Yeah, I think so. Atari 800 XL, I believe. I think that's where I played it. Yeah. I don't remember where I played it, but I remember playing it and liking it. No, was that MSX, Kings Valley? There is a Kings Valley for MSX. But it was big on the Atari. I think so. Okay. I don't, that's probably... It's hard to tell back then because all the games were on every system. That's right. Yeah. But this is its introduction for the first time being on the Commodore 64. Uh, it looks like a very cool game. So that's it. Simple enough. We'll put the show notes in there so you guys can check it out. But if you're a Kings Valley fan and you have a Commodore 64, it's the way to go. Awesome. Space Invaders Invincible Collection releases in Japan in March. Nice. Now this is cool because... It's got all those cool versions of Space Invaders that you recently fell in love with. <laughs> yeah, I never knew about them. Yep. Um, Space Invaders, of course. Part 2, which is a, a 79 arcade game. The Majestic 12, which is Part 4, a 1990 arcade game. Super Space Invaders 91. Arkanoid versus Space Invaders, which is a mobile game. But, of course, I don't play mobile games, so I wouldn't have caught it. But that's probably pretty cool, especially with the controller. Uh, Space Invaders Extreme. Which is the one I liked. And Space Invaders Gigamax 4SE. <laughs> um, the special edition of the game will also include Lunar Rescue, Space Cyclone, and Space Invaders DX, which is also pretty good. Now, what's cool about this, this is only releasing, at least as of right now, in Japan. But on again, what? On the Switch? On the Switch. Okay. But again, this is why I have a Japanese account, which everyone can get a free Japanese account. Yeah, I need to do that. I've never, I just never had a need to do it. In fact, that game I told you about a few months ago, the fishing game, yeah, was on sale recently, and I almost pulled the trigger. Oh man, it just—it's so wacky and bizarre. I want Doki Doki Literature Club to show up on there. It won't. It can't, Eric. You guys haven't played that yet. You need to give it a shot, but you have to do it on a computer. So, all right. And you'll see why when you finish the game, you can tell I can you can admit why you, you now know it has to be on a computer. Okay, but it does. Um, Super Retro Champ announced at CES from my arcade. Now, I gotta pull this thing up. Yeah, because I, I don't <laughs> this know. This what... is this is tongue in cheek, honestly. Super Retro Champ. So I'm saying you're throwing words at me, and they're all in weird orders, and I don't know what it means. <laughs> They're all just really generic terms. Super Retro Champ, CES, <laughs> My Arcade. Yeah, right. What does that mean? So the company is called My Arcade. That's the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, the Super Retro Champ is this thing. Ooh. <laughs> that thing's flat. <laughs> what you are looking at here is a quote-unquote handheld? Um, it's a console for two-dimensional people. It is a large box that looks... I don't know. I'm just going to guess here. I'm not even going to look up information. I'm going to guess... Two and a half inches thick, 
uh, eight inches tall, ten inches wide, with a screen that's large but small, based on the size of the system, with buttons and a D-pad. Yeah. And you can shove Super Nintendo games in the top and Genesis games in the bottom. <laughs> up the wazoo. Up the wazoo. You can put the Genesis games up the wazoo. It looks ridiculous. I'm going to be honest with it you. It does. It looks like a, like a tablet from like 1991. <laughs> yeah. Now, it does have a kickstand on the back, and you can use the controllers it includes, which look like horrible. They do look horrible. Ber- versions of a... Uh, Almost of the uh, the Wii Classic controller that they came out with with the handles. Yeah, but it looks like those. I mean, those are not going to feel good. I don't know. Maybe I'm judging it's a book before I it's covered before I try it. But that's and these guys, um, my arcade. You'll mm-hmm. recognize them because they make stuff like that. Okay, like the little. I'm arcade. pointing to the little tiny arcade that you can get at Walmart for like nine dollars on sale all the time because yeah, it, uh, and it's garbage. <laughs> Anyways, I just want to bring it up. I thought it was funny to look at. If you guys want to laugh, there are, uh, looks like trigger buttons on the back. Are there prototypes or is this a product yet or is it coming out or? I think it's just been announced at this point. It was at, you know, CES is pretty much happening, was happening last weekend. Right. So all this stuff got announced. Um, I'll keep an open mind about it. I mean, so it's it just going to play SNES and Genesis cartridges. That's yep. it. Well, all right. I think it said, I, mean, I think they might sell adapters to play something else, but I mean, it's huge and unwieldy the way it is. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the time when Pixel Guide is so popular that people are sending us like Samples. prototypes, and we'll we'll keep we'll have a box out in the garage of one of ours where we just throw in all the devices that play SNES and Genesis cartridges. Hyperkin, if you want to <laughs> send us a sample of that cool little uh, Game Boy thing, send it along. Hey, my arcade. Yeah. We're jerks, and we dissed your product. Prove us wrong. Send it on down. Send we'll, it on down. We'll, 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 we'll review it fairly. Oh, yeah. You know, I know you guys listen. Exactly. I'm a we fa- have millions and millions of viewers. I'm a more than I'm listeners. more than willing to admit that I'm wrong. Like when I look Absolutely. at something and make fun of it, I'm like, "All right, I was wrong. This, looks, this is awesome." <laughs> Let's get some more beer, Eric. I would mod that up the wazoo because I would just make it into I'd something waste, else. I don't know if I'd waste the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What would you turn it into? Just a small, uh, actually not even that small of a flat screen TV. Put it on the wall and let your kids. I'll be the playroom TV. Yeah, that's true. That's like Fisher <laughs> Fit Right Fisher Price on the bottom. There you go. Let's get some more beer. Yeah. So which one are we doing? That next? is officially the end of the news. I think we need to get the other eight bit ale out here because we've got one more here. We've had the White Mage in the past. Yeah. But this, my friend, ain't no White Mage, is it? Or did we have the Black Mage in the past? We had one of the mages in the past. This one's the white mage. This one's my... We've had the black mage. This is the white mage. This is a good one, too, because I did sneak this one. I did as well. <laughs> it is a white ale, and it's got um, a very... Actually, it's the same image as it, the black mage one, but different colors, which is this cool little 8-bit wizard with a uh, cane. A cat... What do you... Not a cane. Wizards don't have canes. Old men have canes. So when a I... staff. Yeah, when I opened this beer, I did it in front of my neighbor, because we were standing in the kitchen just chatting, and... He was amazed. He was like, look at that cool top, because the whole top comes off. <laughs> it's a pull tab, and yeah, the entire top comes off. Which is really, I don't, I mean, he had seen them before, like in old, old... In old-timey films. Exactly. You don't see that much anymore, but I like it. Do you want to give me that top? I can check it for you. Yeah. It makes for easy pouring. Ooh. Well, let's go ahead and drink this bad boy, get ourselves a rating here. So let's take a look at this. It's it's a lighter beer. It's a white mage, white ale. 
Uh, you know, there was a good description on here because I remember reading it to my neighbor here. So let me get my readers on. Ugh. White cocoa beans and grains of paradise are recognized as he- natural healing ingredients. Mm. So it stands to reason that a white mage would consider them necessary tools. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, 8-Bit Ale Works, though. This is a really good one. Must be a good description if you have to say blah, blah, blah. Cheers! Cheers, even though I already drank like three sips while you were talking for an hour there. So this one, much lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny, because when when I think ale, I think heavy. I don't think light. But this is, um, I mean, there's more going on than like a lager. Very flavorful. Not unlike a lager. I I mean, unlike a lager, it is... There's a lot going on here. You can taste like the um, the tanginess. It's, it's almost like, got a little bit of a citrus flavor to it. Yeah, I want someone to say it's almost like when you're actually this happened to us recently. When you're sick, let's say you make a hot cup of water with honey and lemon. Yeah, that and beer. Yeah, and you know I've 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 had things that had uh, grains of paradise in it, but I don't really even know what, what that is means. That's a thing. That is a real thing. Yeah. All right, know what? We're hopping on right now. <laughs> okay. Good old Google here. Google or Alexa, whatever. <laughs> what? WTF is a grain of paradise. All right. I want to check it Let's out. Let's look it up. I want to see the pictures. Are you going to start working on a rating? Yeah. Um, I am going to say. I'll say right now, it's not going to be nearly as high as the Gran Turismo because that was just amazing. Well, and uh, yeah. So there it go. Grains of paradise is indigenous to the west coast of Africa. It is a relative of both ginger and cardamom. Wow. Okay, I can get a kind of a ginger. That's probably the, the tanginess. Uh, this is what gives it peppery floral flavor. I was about to say peppery and floral, Eric. I, don't I, know, I, I do. Don't know about you. I, I do taste a little bit of the pepper. Um, the spice was used in Europe much the same way black pepper is used, and it was also added to beverages like beer and wine. Well, it still is. So what, Google? You didn't know anything. Yeah, it's good. All right, I want to rate this thing out of uh, 17 staffs. Okay. Specifically white mage staffs, because you don't want to get those black mage staffs involved. Otherwise, all kind of chaos will will break loose. You know, next thing you know... i got to admit I didn't juggle dudes as much as maybe I should have. <laughs> hey. You win. I've got a mysterious past. um it is good see it's hard 17 is a bad scale because i don't want to say 13 or 14 13 and a half out of 17 staffs for me i'm gonna give it really good it's it's almost too flavorful for like an everyday drinking beer yeah and it's almost too light for like a like an after dinner beer or but it is really good. But I think I have to be in the mood for it. We were talking about Streets of Rage, right? We were talking about juggling dudes. Ju- <laughs> no, we weren't. We nope. weren't? Nope. You're still trying to figure that I'm still out. Still trying to figure that out. Maybe next episode Eric will have it. But What game were we playing when I was juggling dudes? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, White Mage Ale is amazing when it goes up into your sinal cavity. <laughs> Woo! Um, oh my you know, goodness. I think I like this one maybe better than you do a little bit. I'm going to give it okay. 15. 15 right. to 17, right? Yeah. Yeah, because really I, like I, I do really like this. It is really good. Honestly, I like both of these better. Um, I like the Black Mage, too, but I like these both better than the Black Mage. You know, in general about beer, I was a guy that would drink black, like black or darker beers in the winter. 
mm-hmm. and are thicker, darker beers in the winter and lagers and and pilsners in the in the summer, right? Okay, yeah. But it, it was like maybe two summers ago, I drank so many great pilsners because the, there used to not be such a great selection of pilsners and 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 lighter beers, but I drank some really great ones, and then it carried over, and I'm drinking them all year round now, um, like a pilsner and lagers. Um, so I, this is I'm I'm I I like this type of beer, and I'm enjoying it a lot. So. Very cool. No, it's good. Yeah. It's very good. It's sweet, but not in a sugary sweet way. It's like a right. honey sweet, hearty, hearty sweet. Yep. Um, I know barley wine is some thick, nasty stuff. Yeah. But when I read books about barley wine, this is what I taste. Like a delicious honey beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'll have a pint of barley wine. Well, <laughs> is what I imagine, even though it's not. Um, I think it's time to hear our interview, Eric. This is what we've been all waiting for. Yeah. The so, interview. Uh, Say his name again, Stefan. Stefan Vogt. All right. I've been practicing. Good. Good. All right. Take it it. away, guys. Right, guys i'm here with uh stefan vogt how did i do there stefan i'm fine thank you hi nice to be here great um stefan of course from hibernated one fame here the text adventure on multiple classic systems uh he also did the curse of robinstein and is one of the co-founders of puddle software if i'm not mistaken yes that's true right Great. See, I did my research. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I, I did want to mention real quick, I did play Hibernated 1 a few months ago. Um, I had never really played a lot of text adventures. Um, I love the game, by the way, but I wanted to mention that my childhood, I was kind of, you know, one of the, the kids that um, I, I grew up after text adventures were really a big thing. And so by the time I got around to playing them, they were kind of old hat. So I spent more time... Uh, writing curse words and things into the uh, uh, the adventure to see what it would say back. Yeah. <laughs> but when Absolutely. Hibernated 1 uh, came out, uh, I, I really wanted to give it a shot, and uh, it was a great game, so I wanted to thank you for that. No, thank, thank you for playing my game. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's always cool uh, to, to, have, uh, to have feedback uh, uh, for, for the things you do. And, uh, you know, Hibernated actually was uh, kind of... Well, let's say it was a surprise hit. Uh, I didn't uh, intentionally write a game that uh, would become, um, yeah, a little bit viral in our small uh, um, retro scene. But uh, yeah, that's what uh, what happened. And uh, as as you know, it won a few prizes, and uh, I'm really happy uh, with how uh, people uh, appreciate the game, how people understood the game and uh how people say that it uh, it really um yeah it it brought life back to adventure games yeah yeah and maybe you could go over uh, hibernated one kind of what the game is about in your own words and uh perhaps mention where people can go and download it yeah sure of course um well hibernated is um a science fiction text adventure it's uh, text only like uh many games uh we know from Infocom, for example, and uh, well, basically you're um, on an exploration mission in um, in space, and on your way to your uh, to your um, 
to the planet you're uh, you're um, confronted by an alien vessel which uh, crosses your path and it uh, captures you with a tractor beam and yeah you're you're trapped and you have to find a way out i i won't uh, go too much uh, into detail of the story uh, because um yeah that will obviously spoil it too much but it's it's really really a, an um um uh, a captivating story yeah that was the word i was looking for that's it's a good really word, yeah. captivating story and it develops um uh, a, a good tension and yeah i think uh, you you really should uh, give it a go it has a few twists and well yeah it's 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 a great game yeah now <laughs> now this this wasn't your first uh text adventure or game that you've coded before right this is just kind of the first one that went uh, small market viral i think as you put it well uh, no um actually it uh, it is the first game i've written ever really okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> um wow I did. I did some. I did some. Uh, some. Some games in the eighties on my Commodore sixty four. But that was, you know, like I did it in basic and gave it to a friend, and he passed it on to his friend. But it was. It was not like um, I did uh, publish games or, or something like that. And yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was my first game, and yeah, it it became a hit. Yeah. Uh, no. That, I mean, that's. That's really cool. So, <laughs> is uh, the Curse yeah. of Robinson? That's is that's the the next game that you have coming out then. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Rabenstein, um is the game I'm developing right now at the at the very moment. It's a um, horror adventure, and um, the thing is, uh, I was already uh, developing Hibernator Two, and um, I intentionally uh, put it a little bit on a side uh, as I um, you know the thing is when you're when you're um, when you're releasing a hit like hibernated wars yeah there are always people and expectations and of course that uh, brings a little bit of pressure with you and you want to create the the best game um, uh, you, you could imagine you, you want people to uh, to enjoy it and exceed expectations and you know i felt with the current adventure system uh, system I'm, I'm using to develop games um i felt um yeah there was room for improvement let's say it like that and uh yeah, so i started <laughs> rewriting the game um uh, with the infocom development tools and so did so, you have to start it all over again yeah well you can obviously reuse many parts like room descriptions and riddles and game design so it's not like that you're starting uh, from scratch you know okay um, but uh, of course i um i wanted um the infocom interpreters and yeah so i i restarted basically from scratch uh, but uh, the in the end i i hope um I can uh, achieve uh, the story, uh, the whole story I have in mind for the game. So, so do yeah. you have it in your head? It's all up there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> on my uh, on uh, in my head, and uh, it's it's basically written in a in a little book I always uh, carry with me, where I'm uh, writing down uh, game ideas uh, as they. Come. Oh yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, as they come, <laughs> you know. That's kind of like me with the podcast. I'm always writing down absurd little nothings on notepads and random pieces of papers, collecting them, yeah. and then before we do the show, we put them all together at the last minute and record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and. Um, 
so um and and when that when that happened and i started uh, the rewriting process of the game um i got approached by uh, chris ainsley who is uh, um the creator of adventure run uh, adventure run is, oh, wow. uh, i'm not, not sure if you heard of it it's it's basically a modern adventure system okay um but it it looks like a retro system and it can um mimic the look of retro computers and um so i was in uh in in touch with him and he was um searching for people to participate in an adventure jam and, so is this uh, the the ones i've seen on the web now yeah well they they had two jams they had a cave jam and uh, a halloween jam oh yeah yeah, yeah. And, okay uh, i participated in the halloween jam and uh yeah for that jam i created an yeah a very early version of what would become uh rammstein the curse of rammstein gotcha yeah so that's and, like yeah, the well, 16k version if you will yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was very rough because you just had a month to develop the whole game and obviously an adventure is uh a very sophisticated um a game um compared to uh to to other genres yeah like you you have to consider every input the player uh makes and uh, yeah that makes it of course a complex task to create something yeah i want to say like the tedium of double checking things and trying to break them and then fixing what broke yeah and all the dirty (laughs) words you you entered in your childhood you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah no absolutely because if if, uh, those words aren't in there and it doesn't recognize and have some retort (laughs) yeah yeah, and um, so uh, what I did there, then I, I, I basically had that game in Adventure Run and um, uh, I said to myself, well, actually the game logic, uh, logic is there, um, uh, the texts are there, um, the concept is there. What about polishing it, expanding it, and then uh, releasing it as a, as a uh, graphic adventure on, uh, on the 8-bit platforms as well? And yeah, and that, yeah. that is what I am doing now. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because uh, Hibernated One is pure text. Yeah. The next game is going to be graphic. Yes. Um, so how do you make that choice uh, to do a text adventure or, or graphics? I mean, do you do the art or do you have to find somebody um, or do you want to leave more to the imagination? Yeah, that's um, yeah, that, that's not easy to explain. I have I have two opinions on that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Hibernated One and Robinstein, two opinions, two yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, you, you have to, you, you basically understand it better when you... Um, when you think about the role models for these games, you know, um, when I'm thinking about hibernated, I'm thinking about um, uh, the interactive uh, the interactive fiction approaches, you know, from uh, from Infocom, you know, um, Infocom where- being a large classic publisher for uh, text only adventure games, right? Right, right, and uh, I mean, um, their, their their games were so good and so uh, i have a large collection here and it's still growing uh, i'm missing a few titles uh, but uh, i'm already there <laughs> and uh, yeah i wanted to get into that eventually uh, all three 
Infocom titles I know off the top of my head. I'll start with Zork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Zork, Zork is uh, probably the one game every, everyone knows from Infocom. And then uh, maybe, maybe... Zork 2 and Zork 3. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are the three games I know. Uh, I, I was I wanted to say The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's another I one. have heard of that, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which they did with uh, Douglas Adams. And um, it's... Um, uh, basically one of my favorites and uh, I love it and yeah you know so when I when I'm thinking about hibernated it's that um, that classic interactive uh, fiction approach where you're where you're as you said your your mind draws the the best pictures and you're 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 basically off to experience a story with your head like when you're reading a book yep. you know um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things, because one thing I noticed ne- when I played Hibernated 1, it kind of made me thirst for another game. And I won't mention the name, but there's another text adventure game, um, I guess, popular back in the day. And I was playing it, and mm-hmm. I didn't get two minutes into the adventure before I died. And I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean I can die? So I wanted to ask you about that, it's kind of like back with Sierra Online games, the graphic adventure games, point and clicks. They allowed you to die by like in space quest you'd touch the, the ooze and you'd die you'd start all over again from the save point if you were lucky enough to have remembered to save and then LucasArts came along and said hey let's make a game where you don't die you yeah. just keep playing until you figure the game out was that kind of an inspiration for how you chose to do hibernated did you want the players to not die and get frustrated uh, absolutely uh, well um to be honest there is one situation in hibernated one where you can actually die <laughs> Ooh, i <laughs> didn't die i, uh, yeah, yeah, I did well, a no it's, death it's, playthrough. It's, hard, it's hard to find it but you know when you're when I, I will tell i will tell because nobody would do that but uh when you're um when you're uh, traveling between the ships and you're in um Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Which you can do more or less uh, at the beginning. You're pressing the button, and you don't have your space suit on. You know, then uh, bad things will happen. But that's the only part in the game where you can die. And uh, yeah, um, when I started, um, when I started writing uh, Hibernated and thought about a concept that could work today, uh, then I, I realized. But many games, you know, from the 80s um, wouldn't work today anymore. The problem is um, we're, even though we, we, we remember what, what, uh, what, what games were back in the day and we have sometimes even uh, very romantic um, <laughs> memories of, of that games, m- m- often more romantic than they actually were, you know? <laughs> of course. Uh, you remember the good parts and you forget the yeah, bad parts. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah right. Um, then then you, you, I understood you can't go, go on um, and develop another game like in the 80s. It should play with your... Um, with what you were used to in the 80s, but it should also involve uh, modern design concepts. Like, uh, um, so... Um, my games are not very hard to beat, you know. It's 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 more about experiencing a story in whole rather than um, uh, causing frustration. The problem is, back in the day, uh, you had an adventure you were playing for months, but uh, we're living... yeah, you paid your money for it and you want to get your month out of it, so you yeah, 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 bang yeah, your yeah, head sure. against the wall but until you absolutely. finish it and feel like you got your money worth. Yeah, but we're <laughs> we're living. Um, 
we are living in a different world now. Yeah, the, the world has moved on. And uh, no, exactly, because I just went on the Switch and bought a game because I heard it was a really good game. It was only a few bucks and it took three hours, so I wanted to play it for three hours, and move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, sure, and that is exactly the point. And um, and and so uh, that that is one of the of the. Um, of the foundations of, of the design process of, of hibernated. And uh, obviously uh, I also remembered what, what I thought always uh, was annoying with adventure games. Like for example, guessing the verb, you know? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, you, you want the right thing, but the game just doesn't understand you. Um, the difference is, between take and get and pick up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's exactly what I mean, which <laughs> is um, absolutely uh, frustrating or like, you know, solving very abstract riddles. That, that's something people don't don't want anymore these days. And they don't want to die and they want to save their progress anytime and start the next evening, you know. Uh, and yeah, and that is um, what intentionally happened with uh, Hibernated. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I I played Hibernate and, and um, there's a you ha there's a few parts you have to think about for like a half an hour, and then finally you figure out how to get past it. Mm -hmm. The only part I got stuck, and I'm don't think I'm giving away too much away here, but this is Cody's tip of the day. Um, when you first get the flashlight, don't turn it on and leave it on because you'll never know where you're supposed to use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's what uh, I did. I I found the flashlight, so I turned it on. It says, "Okay, your flashlight's on. Great, you did that part of the game." So I just left it on for the rest of the game, and I had to go back and look up a walkthrough to figure out where the flashlight was supposed to be used in the game. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the the it's it's funny. I um I wanted to. Uh, I, I I won't spoil it a riddle, but I I just wanted to play a little bit with how people are are used to play their adventure games when you're finding a flashlight the first thing you do is always turning it on of course <laughs> so uh, i I've, i thought that was a good idea and um yeah uh, you're not the first person to uh, get stuck there <laughs> but uh, I'm, i think there are uh, enough hints to get you um the sooner or later to the um to to uh to success well and people can always come to pixel guide in for all your tips and tricks <laughs> <laughs> so i did want to ask you why text adventures um it seems to be the only genre you really talk about and and create so why why wow. what's so enthralling about text adventures for you yeah yeah that's um um yeah well, that's not easy to answer. Um, Just yeah, you know. Next question. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's. it's uh, I, I will try. Um, okay. You know, when we're when we're um, when we're talking about retro gaming, we're obviously talking about games we enjoy a lot, or we enjoy it in our childhood. And uh, you know, I was always an adventure guy. I played many adventures back in the day, and um, always text or, or point and yeah, click. Or? No, I was a big fan of. Um, uh, I was not so much into Sierra, but I did enjoy uh, the Lucasfilm games as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just they were just 
brilliant, you know. Uh, I mean, um, I've said it many times on the show, but Sam and Max is one of my one of my top five games of all time. Yeah, Sam and Max actually is an underdog in in that portfolio. It's uh, it's a great game. Um, my my favorites are uh, Monkey One and Two. Uh, I have to admit, I'm just like everybody else. <laughs> wah, I think. Wah. <laughs> Another great. Yeah. So I've always loved the humor of Sam and Max, and going back to our conversation on leaving it to the imagination. Yeah. When I played it, I played it on a pretty low spec DOS computer. Oh um, yeah. And uh so it was all text. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. We played through the whole thing, we loved it. I tried to play it a few years later, and it was a more current version that had um, audio for te- uh, the actual speech, spoken words. Yeah. Not nearly as funny. Yeah. <laughs> you have to read it and, and make it your own to make it as good as it can be. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I agree to that. Yeah, you know, the, the the retro scene is more vibrant than ever these days, which is great. Um, Absolutely. But what Except I... Except for buying uh, for buying hardware. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the only thing uh, I dislike a little bit is that um, there is not much diversity anymore in the games that are are released right now you know when when you're when you're having a look at the at the top games of uh you know 2019 for example you will uh, notice that uh, we have 17 games that are jump and run you know and yep. uh, i always wanted to write an adventure game and uh i got in touch with uh tim gilberts who um gave me uh, the first version of the system i'm i'm using to uh um to write my my, my games uh tim gerbels uh, probably y- you know him he is uh, the founder of uh guildsoft and uh yeah basically one of the top uh, uk adventure personalities everybody knows gotcha um, gotcha now is this the dad engine part of the dad engine or am I heading down the wrong road? No, a Quill was before that. Uh, Quill is okay. basically for uh, the end user. It, it was the first game uh, they, they released. Uh, uh, it was the first um, uh, engine they released, and it allowed, uh, yeah, you know, the, the average Joe, let's say it like that, to um, yeah. to uh, create a, a machine code adventure without uh, the need of... Uh, uh, of knowing uh, meshing code, you know. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't quite shoot 'em up destruction kit for text adventures, but it was on its way there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was something like that, and it it really okay. it really sparked a whole scene in uh, in, uh, in in UK. And there is a there is a reason why there are so many um, text adventures on the static spectrum, for example, and that's not just because the machine is. Uh, pretty limited compared uh, sorry uh, spectrum fans <laughs> the, the, the machine is uh, hot pretty, take yeah, I love yeah, it. yeah yeah okay okay uh yeah hate me oh that's going in the show i'm not editing that out um <laughs> <laughs> uh, the machine is uh, pretty limited to compared to um uh to to a commodore 64 for example uh in both uh, graphics or um, I mean, from my point of view, graphics and sound are all I see. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a programmer, so yeah. And and th- that, but but that's not the reason. The reason is um, when when Guildsoft released uh, Quill in 1984, they um, released it uh, for well, nah, actually they presented it in 1983 already. And um, uh, Tim told me the story uh, where um, where he first introduced it to the public and. Uh, uh, he, he immediately knew 
they have something there it's it's something special and you know and then uh magazines um featured the program and yeah well a whole scene developed uh based uh, on on that software and i don't know how many hundred uh commercially released uh adventures were written with that program but but it were a lot yeah and how many good and ones then, though and then came professional adventure writer pause uh as a successor okay and yeah and that was basically um uh, a tool that uh yeah is still used very much uh to this day on on the spectrum for creating uh, uh adventure okay game. yeah and now there's the d-a-a-d or i'm gonna say dad dad <laughs> you know yeah ja- and you yeah, have a yeah. hand in that as well uh you recently been working with with that yeah 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 uh, r- right that is what i was using then to port hibernated over um okay. it's the first it, it was that, that were the first steps I, I did with uh with the engine but maybe a little bit of information um about the engine and, and uh and where it's originating from it's another piece of um of software from from tim and what makes dart so special is that you're basically you have a single file of uh, code, and you can then compile it to uh, a target platform. You know, like um, I have, I have my my game logic, and now I say, okay, it's now create the game for C sixty four for Spectrum. And the thing what that does is it also supports sixteen uh, bit targets like uh, Amiga, Atari ST, and uh, DOS. Yeah, and um, I had contact with Tim in uh, 2017. Uh, Tim asked me if I would be interested to release with him a special version of the Quill on my blog. And I asked him what makes this version special. And he says, well, uh, the Quill always had a two-word parser, but I created uh, a version that supports uh, four words, uh, in 1986 for CRL. Um, okay. Yeah. And a parser, of course, being the the action words you use in a game to, to do try to do things. Yeah. Like, um, rather than just take box, you could say yeah, uh, get you know, box yeah, or, or pick up box or place box, open yeah, box. Or when you, when you have the same object like, uh, twice, like you have two boxes, one is yellow, one is green, take the green yeah. box. Take, yeah, yeah. There you go. So um, y- you could write more sophisticated games. You know, and then I was writing Hibernated when, when I was working with Tim. And, um, you know, I, I think I developed it with... Quill, and then I ported it to the Spectrum with um, with Pause, and I was already working on uh, Eight Feet Under, which is the add-on. And uh, you know, in Eight Feet Under, I'm using more than two words, you know, and um, and uh, since Quill doesn't use text compression, uh, the game needs to be uh, considerably small and uh so quill was not suitable for um uh for uh for eight feet under and uh, when i was talking with tim about how how to do that and um uh, if there is a is a there is a way and he said well 
we could resurrect that. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't know about the system. I, I never heard about, uh, about it. And yeah, and I was like, what is that? And then he explained and, and said, it's a system that he developed as an in-house solution in Spain. And he asked if, um, um, if I want to, to help him with that. And uh, we got the blessing from, from Andres uh, Samudio, uh, the, the owner of Aventura's ID. And he said, well, go on. I released it to the public domain anyway. And uh, just just uh, add that what's missing. And that's uh, basically what we did. Cool. So now that you guys have resurrected the DAD engine, the DAD engine, are other people using it? Yeah. Yes. There are there are games in in the works, and there is a there is a very um, there is a, um, a a nice scene around it, and um, uh, you know it's it's more actively still used in Spain, but uh, you you know um, uh, John Wilson, for example, from. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if you how you pronounce it. Zenobi software, Zenobi, Zenobi software. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm not gonna try to pronounce anything else yeah, on this show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he was um, uh, he was very interested when he saw that um, that we released the system and he used it to um, to um, to make. Commodore 64 versions and all the other ver uh, platforms that uh, that supports, and um, uh, fr from his classic uh, Spectrum games, you know, and uh, I think he already co converted more than 30 games now. With oh it. wow! Yeah, that that you know that that is something that makes us very proud because those games were never available available on the on the commodore 64 which we all <laughs> all know is the best 8-bit computer <laughs> oh, i'm totally gonna save that sound clip and use it for every episode now <laughs> i'm just i'm just joking you know yeah i, I just i'm, I'm just uh, i'm just joking um yeah, so so it is actively used, and um, we make things easier. And we teamed up with a Spanish uh, scene. We have uh, a GitHub uh, repo where all the code and um, is hosted now. And uh, I am admin there, and and uh, Carlos or uh, Uto, how um, how many call him, is um, the other maintainer, and he's from from the Spanish scene. He's a he's the guy, by the way, who also wrote the new compiler uh, for for that. So there is much going on right now. He also added um, a pixel image support, which um, which uh, helps us to create even more sophisticated games with it. Now I want to switch uh, gears here a little bit because I want to talk about Puddle Software. You are one of the should I say co-founders of Puddle Software? Yes. Yeah. Now, Puddle Software is releasing all kinds of what I call like to call modern retro games on these uh, classic systems, including your games, um, Ant Stiller, I believe, and Graham Axton, if I'm saying that right. They're the three amigos involved. Yes, and we also have a new member. Um, that's uh, Dylan Barry. Okay. And uh, Dylan is uh, solely a, um, a graphic artist. Okay, well, there you go. Now you've got your graphic adventure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we're coming full circle, yeah. And uh, he 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 actually did the graphics for um, uh, for Rabenstein. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, there you go. That makes and, perfect sense. 
<laughs> yeah, and and to to answer the question right right from the beginning, how how um, how do I understand games? When when the pictures are, are best drawn in your mind, you know. And uh, on yeah. the other hand, I'm developing a game uh, like like Rabenstein. Well, we already told about uh, talked about Infocom, where we know that um, that is the the role model for for hibernated. And you know. Um, for Rabenstein, uh, my idea was to uh, to create something that resembles the, the games you know from level nine. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so puddle though, uh, I'm guessing that's a play mm -hmm. on words from uh, Ocean Software, right? The the logo seems to share some uh, similarities, if you will. Yes, just like <laughs> just like just like pond. You know, we're uh, we're we're getting from from um, from from ocean to a pond to a puddle you know you're uh, going the wrong way <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think the next well, the next uh uh will be then a drop or something i don't i don't know <laughs> yeah, right right yeah, a no. thimble of water <laughs> yeah no i yeah. think it should be c you know or c software something like that yeah basically yeah <laughs> so puddle um, software currently has four games released it looks like uh hibernate one of course uh bare essentials which graham did that's a great game. Absolutely. And um, uh, Super Bonky Kong. And I'm not familiar with Dustin, but that is listed up here as well. Uh, Dustin, yeah. Uh, Dustin is um, uh, a little game that Graham wrote for um, the um, um, uh, Reset Creptastic Compo, you know? It's a... F 4K game, I think. And you're, um, you're basically... Um, you know, it's uh, it's a fun game. It's you 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 have to clean your Commodore sixty four motherboard. You know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 just it's it's a cool game. You you have to you have to play it. It's it's um yeah. I, it's it's not. I love how we we hate doing daily tasks. But we'll play video games that basically simulate daily tasks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I never want to do the dishes, but if they made a Commodore sixty four game called Dishwasher, I'd play it. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if that will be our next big hit, but <laughs> we could consider it. Um, so that being said, you guys are doing boxed copies of these games as well, including Bare Essentials and, of course, Hibernated One. Yes. Are those limited run? Can people still buy those, or do they kind of sell out and that's it? No, no, you can't. You can still buy uh, both. Um, uh, we have we have a publisher that is uh, Polyplay. Okay. And um, I think the address is polyplay.xyz. They're reproducing it, and um, they'll be back in stock. And um, t uh, actually, yeah. Hibernated is uh, is currently their. Um, their bestseller, which nobody did expect for for a crappy adventure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I like the uh, the tagline, like the old Infocom adventures, but worse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see where that ends. I mean, uh, Hibernated Two is uh, is still in the works, and um, at this point, I I have to excuse uh, for for the delay, but it will be worth the wait. Now, I want to ask you um, when you play a text adventure game. Do you have like a certain type of ritual that you do? Because because when I sit down and played your game, you mentioned earlier you had like a romantic idea you know, of the past. I like to sit down with a nice graph paper and some nice pencils, uh, a tea, um, you know, kind of huddle down and hunker down for a couple hours to to enjoy the game. Do you do anything specific like that when you play an adventure game, or is it just kind of whatever? Yeah. Um... 
Well, it's kind of like settling down for a good book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I do that pretty much as you, as you described already. So, uh, when, when I, when I sit down to, to play an adventure, it's, um, it's as you say, I, I take uh, a piece of paper, I take a pen, um, I, um, sometimes have some relaxing background music and, uh, just, you know, there you go. Uh, sh shutting, shutting everything, uh, fr from the outside away, you know, and, yeah. uh, concentrating on on the game as you were uh reading a book for example exactly yeah do you have a strategy for how to draw the rooms uh, on an, a text adventure on a piece of graph paper so that you don't accidentally start in the middle and you end up running off the page <laughs> yeah the, the, the <laughs> it happens to me every time <laughs> yeah the, that that's 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 kind of a problem because you don't know <laughs> when you start a game where you should start uh, drawing. Y you know, it could be that you're you're starting on on top of the of the paper, and you know, um, uh, th the next room is north. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, can, exactly. It, it can always it can always um, um, be uh, not ideal how you start on 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 the paper and uh, I need to see if they sell poster sized graph paper. Yeah, well, what, what <laughs> and I, start in the middle. What I did back <laughs> in the day is I I always started in the middle and um and uh, I I just uh, um I, I I glued the papers, you know. There you go. <laughs> and, yeah. and of course, the the rooms get smaller as you get towards the edge of the page. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, playing your game, I think I went through three different pieces of paper. I kept redrawing it and having to redraw it again on a new page. Oh, but yeah. That's part of the fun. Now I need to touch on your uh, game collection um, that you've been collecting physical games. Is it specifically Infocom games? or um, Yeah. Um, or is that just your uh, current fixation, if you will? One time in my life where, where I was just after hardware, you know? And... Uh, I've pretty much bought everything I could could uh, could get my hands on, and well, that that's where I am uh, right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm at the hardware stage. Yeah, you're 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 late to the game. You should have started five uh, five um, years earlier. That would have saved you lots of money. You know? <laughs> don't, don't I know it? And, I'm also in the denial stage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then there was a time where I was uh, satisfied with what I had here hardware wise, you know, I'm not one of those hoarders that needs to have like five Commodore 64s. There is no sense in, in yeah. that. And uh, so, so I basically have every, yeah, eight bit you can imagine, nearly every eight bit you can imagine. And, um, I have them not once, but I have them twice. Uh, one is for the hands on area here in my, retro in my little retro museum and um <laughs> uh the other machine is a fallback machine like like w when something happens you know then i can just plug the plug the other in and uh there you go and, and now you're collecting boxed games and it seems like yes. you don't care about the system you just like the boxed games yes yeah well yeah and that is uh yeah that is that is true uh, and this is what happens when you're um when you're done with collecting hardware because you have everything and then you you're wondering what comes next yeah <laughs> then you start then you start collecting uh then you start collecting games and uh yeah there's uh, no uh end game there's no way to finish uh, yeah collecting yeah 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 well yeah i've um i restricted myself on adventure games 
So I'm not collecting anything else, just adventure games. Gotcha. Do you have a second, um, like what's your f- second favorite genre of games? No, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's not, uh, that's not easy to answer when you're, when you're taking point and click adventures out, which are obviously adventures too. Um, yeah. then I'm pretty much open, um, uh, for everything. Um, I do like, so you love text adventures and you like everything else. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's not much, uh, there's not much what I, uh, what I dislike. How about 17 Commodore 64 run and jumps a year? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, um, I, I, I love, I love the genre, you know, but I don't, uh, I, I don't like that all these releases are uh, killing all the, the, the diversity. You know, I mean, yeah. um, if you're if you're saying you're generally not into jump and run games, uh, that would be a real shame. And uh, <laughs> if you're saying you don't like uh, Sam's Journey, you're you're obviously should uh, you should be checking your head. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, it's a brilliant game. And um, yeah, but to be honest, if I could choose uh next to adventures um another type of game then it would probably be a strategy game that's why okay. i enjoyed yeah. uh, uh space modules uh uh when it yeah that was a great game yeah when it was released i think yeah it was last year yeah it was 2019 or, or was it 18 i don't remember but but that was a um a great release which uh yeah which uh which i absolutely enjoyed and i loved seeing um that uh that it's not all about um uh jump and runs and uh, and and stilla currently is um developing um a rpg uh which is uh called uh chef quest well you're uh you're uh, it's, it's it's basically it's it's a funny background you're you're a cook and you you have to get back into the cellar and uh get the stuff uh you're you're cooking uh and there you well, go um i won't spoiler too much uh, but the the game will be really will be released um um i think he plans to release it this year i hope he does because it's uh it's brilliant and it's involving uh mutant cabbages and uh, all kinds of, i love it kinds, all kinds of weird all kinds of weird stuff okay last question stefan uh, before you go i want to ask you if you had all the time in the world and you didn't have to work a you know a, a day job and um things like that what would be your your dream project what would you want to do with your free time well um yeah that's that's not easy to answer um I'm fortunately in uh, uh, doing already what I what I love the most. I, I, I mean, I love I love my work as well, and um, I love creating retro games. And I think if I wouldn't work, I would create more retro games. I don't know, <laughs> just more yeah. in general. It's it's just it's just uh, it's it's a way of um, I'm running a lot as well, and and both are very different ways i think of um getting a little bit of inner sanity you know um nice so, yeah so no, it's, I think it's good I to get would... here because you don't have anything that you n- no a goal that you can't attain you're doing what you love yes 
That's true. Well, awesome, Stefan. Uh, we really appreciate the time. We at Pixel Guide In really appreciate it. Eric and Tim as well. Uh, I'm actually heading, we've mentioned this before, but I'm heading over to Germany in a few months. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to make it to Berlin. So, yeah, <laughs> that would have been really cool. That, yeah, that would have been that would have been really cool. But, you know, never say never. Uh, you don't know what happens or maybe there is another uh, time when you're coming back to Germany and then you have a day in in Berlin because um, yeah, I think you really would enjoy uh, seeing what I collected here. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest and take this the way I mean it here. Um, the main reason that I wanted to meet you is because I want to figure out where you get those delicious little breakfast things that you keep taking pictures of oh, and putting yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, that's just that, <laughs> they look amazing. What are they? That's that's just that's just uh, around uh, that's just around the corner. You know, um, uh, th- th- those little things are basically um, I- I'm not sure um, uh, how if, if there is something similar in the U.S. It's uh, it's called in Germany we say it's a Brötchen. Okay. which is kind of like a, a, a very, very small bread, you know? And you just cut it in half and you you put amazing stuff on it, which is what <laughs> you see that on Twitter, you know? <laughs> yeah, they look amazing. They're all pretty and dressed up and they look amazing. They're all meaty and tasty and... Oh, oh, they are. I can, <laughs> I can, I can, I can uh, assure you that they, uh, they are. And uh, yeah, well, uh, to my... Um, um, I, uh, it's it's around the corner, which is not always good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, again, thank you, and we appreciate the time. We wish you the best. Look forward to your uh, future endeavors, and look forward to seeing what you have uh, coming up next. Okay. So, thank you much. <laughs> have a good one. Hey guys, how about we take a little break, check with our friend over the pond? That's right. It's tea time with Tim. Welcome back to Tea Time with Tim on the Pixel Gaiden podcast. Coming up on this episode, we're going to be delving into one of my favourite but lesser explored consoles, the Sega Dreamcast. Thinking about what I was going to do for this episode's Tea Time with Tim, I've realised that I've covered quite a few computers, so I decided I would go for a console this time round. I looked around at my console collection and the games to go with them. I thought, what do I enjoy playing and has good memories? The Mega Drive or the Master System immediately sprung to mind, but they have been done so many times and Cody and Eric talk about them a lot in the run of the podcast as normal. Then I thought I would go with the underdog and one of my all-time favourite consoles, the Sega Dreamcast. I've owned a Dreamcast since the day, or slightly before the day of launch. At the time, in the late 1990s, I had my own computer store called the Tech Centre, located in a small town called Axminster in Devon. In this shop, I mostly sold custom-built PCs and mobile or cell phones. However, I did still dabble in the game's console market, stocking the Xbox, PlayStation 2 and, of course, the Dreamcast. If you are a retail store in the UK, it would generally work that the distributor of the consoles would send them out a few days before release to give retailers time to get everything ready and get staff acquainted with the new systems and for pre-orders to be sorted. So I was lucky enough to have the Dreamcast a few days before launch to play with. 
The Dreamcast I have now is one of those original release consoles that I kept back as a demo unit and when I closed down the shop I kept it along with all the remaining games I had left in stock. I have acquired a few others over time but luckily enough I have a good range of games in stock at the time when I closed down the shop and never sold these on over the years. That's the backstory on my brief encounter with the Dreamcast back in the day. Fast forward to 2020, 20 years after the launch. Let's just say that again, just to be sure. The Dreamcast is 20 years old? Whoa, where has that time gone? Actually, the Dreamcast is slightly older. I'm talking about when we in the UK and America got the console in 1999. In fact, the first region to get the Dreamcast was of course Japan. This was in November 1998. There is a fair bit of backstory to go with the design and development and eventual release of the Dreamcast, mostly around the actual conception and development of the core architecture. Originally, the Dreamcast was developed by two rival graphics engine manufacturers, these being NEC with the Power VR chipset and the rival at the time, the Voodoo 3DFX chipset. Development of both was run in parallel, with the team running the Power VR development, called Dural, and then in the USA, the 3DFX team called Black Belt. Eventually, winning through was the Power VR Hitachi-based architecture, which was a shame, as it would have been interesting to see what have become of the Dreamcast with the Voodoo 2 chipset. However, as we know, history is written by the winners, and the Power VR was the chosen one by the management in Sega. One thing that was lacking from the Dreamcast was support of major software publisher Electronic Arts. This was seen to have been because of the choice to go with the Power VR chipset rather than the Voodoo chipset. This would turn out to be a big sucker punch for the Dreamcast, missing out on some of EA's marquee titles. However, for me it's a big plus. There is no version of that awful soccer FIFA game that plagues the shelves of stores for about 50p. If we want to save the world from plastic doom, let's make all future versions of FIFA from now on download only and save all that plastic packaging that ends up sitting on shelves for years or thrown away. Anyway, that's my little FIFA rant out of the way. After the decision was made to go with the Power VR chipset, the project name was changed from Dural over to Katana. Progress was made in 1998 and would eventually see the console release in November 1998. However, there were many delays in the manufacture and ending up with Sega only being able to ship around about 100,000 consoles on launch. They had planned to ship around about half a million. This turned out to be a manufacturer issue with NEC having issues working on the new technology process involved making the chipset. The Dreamcast delivered strong sales for Sega in the early few months, even with the relatively small available range of games at launch. These being July, an adventure game by 45, who were a Japanese developer between 1998 and 2002. Pen Pen, developed by General Entertainment. This featured four wacky creatures essentially racing on their stomachs down tracks. It actually looks quite good fun and I've yet to try this one. This one did also get a UK release so I'm gonna to have to give that a whirl. Virtua Fighter 3TB. We all know the Virtua Fighter games. This is a first party release by Sega. 
Godzilla Generations, another game by General Entertainment. It fell flat on its face and never made its way to the US or EU regions for release. The biggest of these sales-wise was Virtua Fighter 3TB, with the addition of the Dreamcast arcade stick. Throughout 1998 and 1999, eventually Sega and NEC got back on top of production, and after several delays, the Dreamcast was unleashed on the rest of the world. Starting with the USA in 1999 in October, and then a full year after the launch in Japan, it made it to England and the rest of the Europe in November 1999. One thing with the delay of the launch meant that there were more titles available at the time it was ready to hit the other regions. In the UK, there were 18 titles from launch. Notably from these were Sonic Adventure, some beat-em-ups, Power Stone and Soul Calibur, and Ready to Rumble 2 Boxing. That was a whole bunch of fun. The Dreamcast went on to do reasonable numbers, but they were no match for the might of PlayStation 2 and Nintendo's GameCube. Sadly, only around two years after the launch in Japan, the announcement from Sega came through in early 2001 that the Dreamcast would be discontinued, with the final shipments of new consoles happening in the US in November 2001. It's a real shame this did not get the backing and support it deserved. It's a great console and has some iconic games released for it, like these. Crazy Taxi, Power Stone, Jet Set Radio or Jet Grind Radio in the US, Shenmue, Space Channel 5, Ikaruga, Res and Virtual Tennis. I'm sure there are many hidden Japanese gems that I have yet to discover on the Dreamcast as I have not modded my PAL region console. This year I'm going to make a real effort to revisit the Dreamcast and get a mod done so I can play some of the import games. I'm sure there are some cracking shmups that are waiting for me to enjoy. As previously mentioned, here's a few of the games that I enjoy on the Dreamcast. Jet Set Radio is one of my favourite games on the Dreamcast. Over in the US you'd probably be more familiar with it as Jet Grind Radio. I believe there were some trademark issues with using Jet Set over in the States, so it was renamed to Jet Grind Radio. It was released throughout the course of the year 2000 in the different territories, first getting released in Japan, then America, and then over here in Europe. The idea of the game is to skate around the townscape, grabbing spray cans, performing tricks, and tagging cars and buildings along the way. You start off as Beat, a member of the GG's gang, along with the other crew members of Gum and Tab. The GG's gang is based in Tokyo Toe. In the town there are also two other rival gangs, the Poison Jam and the Noise Tanks. The general idea is that the two rival gangs will skate around the town and graffiti within your turf. You have to then out-graffiti them by replacing all the tags on your own turf. I enjoy playing this game a lot. It's very smooth, very fast flowing, and the sound in the game is absolutely brilliant. Some really good pumping soundtracks in this one. A great game to pick up if you haven't got this one already. Next up is Crazy Taxi. If you haven't played this one before, I would suggest this would be one of the first ones you go out and get on the Dreamcast. It's absolutely brilliant. If you've seen this one in the arcade, funnily enough, it's gonna be pretty much bang on to the Dreamcast version. The hardware engine in the arcade version is called the Naomi, 
and this is a very similar architecture to that of the Dreamcast, so this is why the two games in the arcade and on the Dreamcast are very, very close together. The general idea of the game is get in your taxi, pick up uh, people along the way as fares, and try to get them to their destination as quick as possible. When you start the game, there are four different drivers or cabbies that you can select. Axel, Gina, BD Joe and Gus. Each have a different taxi and different styles and sayings throughout the game. Personally, I've always gravitated to Gina. Not really sure why, just that's who I prefer using in the game. There are several different game modes, but one of the main ones is the arcade or the original mode. The general premise is pick up the customer, drive to the destination and drop the customer off. Try and do this in the quickest time possible, but also trying to perform jumps, tricks and also driving near or near misses on other cars. This will earn you money on the way to your destination to drop your customer off to the point of where they need to go. They will then tip you based on how quickly you got there. As you go through the game, there's a timer that ticks down. So if you take longer to get to each destination, the timer ticks down until it reaches zero and then that's game over. With each uh, completed fare, you get more time added to your clock. But eventually, as the game goes through, it gets harder and harder and more difficult to reach the destination of each fare. So eventually you run out of time and then that's game over. In the Dreamcast version, there's also some mini games. There's Crazy Jump, Crazy Fag, Crazy Balloons and Crazy Drift. Crazy Jump is one I like doing and that's a bit like um, ski jumping in a cab. Obviously the idea with that one is to drive as fast as you can down a slope, jump off the edge and see how far you can go before you land. The other good thing about Crazy Taxi is the soundtrack in the game. There's some excellent music in the game. A lot of it I think was done by Offspring. Uh, some really good tracks in there. So if you haven't got Crazy Taxi, I'd recommend going out and getting that one straight away if you're planning on getting a Dreamcast. That's it for me for this episode. Catch up with you all on the next amazing episode of the Pixel Gaiden podcast. So we are back. I want to in thank, real time. Yeah, thank you, Stefan, for that for that uh, amazing interview. That was that was that was insightful. Yeah, that was uh, insightful. Again, he had a lot more to say. Um, so if we can find a way to maybe for our Patreon uh, yeah. subscribers, put the whole thing up there. If you can find a way to make that happen, Eric, of course, internet I can. guru, absolutely. Um, I'll put the full thing up. Um, there were some audio issues with the original version, so the uh, full version won't be nearly as clean. Um, but he had a lot more to say about the dad engine and its origins and where it came from. I also asked him a few questions I really enjoyed, kind of about his favorite computers and stuff. And unfortunately, uh, he has a lot to say about things, which is a good thing. Uh, but we have to try to keep the show short. So I, I want to make sure we get that up there because the yeah. full interview is worth a listen. Definitely. And thanks to Tim for covering the Dreamcast. Uh, I, I didn't have a Dreamcast back in the day. Did you? Did you have one when it was new? I got a Dreamcast right when they were blowing them out for okay. fifty dollars after yeah. they pretty much gave up after two and a half years. Yep. Um, I was in college and I probably had a total of fifty dollars in my account. And when it dropped to that price, I'm like, "Well, I got to get one," especially because I found out you can burn games on it. <laughs> yeah. Even back then, you could just Even burn back a then, CD. You, you, exactly. Um, yeah. So, and I was in college, which, of course, you know, I, I wouldn't condone any of that. But college kid, no money. That was 
perfect. And actually, I used it mostly for emulation. I was playing yeah. NES and Super I played all of uh, Super Mario RPG on the Dreamcast. And my first Dreamcast, I probably got like maybe eight years ago. And when I realized you could play NES and SNES games by just burning like discs with the emulator yeah. on them. Yep. I did that because that was before I had a NES and a SNES. So it was pretty yep. cool. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, we are jumping into Battle of the Systems, right? Absolutely. Battle of the Systems! <laughs> so this battle was brought to us by one of our Patreon listeners. Yeah. Josh Malone. Or what did I call him earlier? The, uh... Get the damn batteries out? Get the Josh, get the damn batteries out, Malone. Yeah. Uh, I called him the irate Josh Malone. Wearing his Argyle pullover. That was his, that was his Royal Rumble uh, persona. Um, but Josh apparently had a, uh, a history with the Shadowrun games. Yeah, and I feel like, and you might correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like he had a more of a history with the Genesis version than the SNES. Yes. And, uh, which is fine. And it, and it, it is an interesting... <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's an interesting uh, battle of the systems because they are two very different games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will give it that. And and oh, hmm, okay, um, and I believe he uh, mentioned to us by you know, in the feedback by reaching out to us that part of it is he wanted to play these games as well. Yeah, and he had never given the Super Nintendo one a fair shake because he always leaned towards the genesis one and hated the super nintendo one yeah so he was going to play along and give his own fair shake now full disclosure here um i did not know first of all that Shadowrun was a paper and pen rpg yeah and i did back when i was in high school there was a group of kids that played not only cyberpunk 2020 but they also played uh, I think I got the number wrong there. It, there is a Cyberpunk 2020, but I, I forget. The, anyway. Right. It's another Cyberpunk paper and pen RPG. But they played Shadowrun. I remember it was by Faza, F-A-S-A, who made a lot of the tabletop games back then. Okay. Um, and I remember seeing the books on the shelf when I went to the comic store and the gaming stores. I, I knew of it. I never played it back in the day. I did play Cyberpunk, but I didn't play Shadowrun. Okay. And this is a game I've always seen. I heard I love the opening screen. I've seen that on various yeah. retro gaming sites or whatever. It's very similar on both. It's the Shadowrun logo, yep. which is Shadowrun. There's this like a goat skull or something. Mm-hmm. And every time I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really cool like fantasy RPG. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when I turned on the game and saw Cyberpunk-ish, that's a turnoff for me. I don't know what it is. Like mm. That doesn't click for me okay. off the bat. Um it also took me a long time before I finally went online and looked into these games to realize it was a paper and pen RPG done in video game form. Yeah. And that actually helped a lot of things click for me finally. Because for the first hour or two on both of these games when I played them, Genesis and Super Nintendo, I don't know if we've even mentioned that, um, I was lost. I had no idea what was going on. And I was too. And I was, I was too. cursing at the screen. Because like I said, I, ne- <laughs> I never played it before either. Uh but and, and it is but, but it is weird it it combines not only hacking and computer s- stuff but it also mixes magic in there like shamans and magic and That's, a, yeah it's a weird it's amalgamation a, with it. and I, I never got to the point in the game it's all again full disclosure yeah. where i got to any magic 
Okay. From what I looked online, the magic comes about halfway through on both. Yeah, and remember, you could play three different classes, which is what I guess was in Shadowrun. You could play like the, 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 the deck decker, I think it is, like the hacker guy, the shaman, which is the magic controller, mm-hmm. and the warrior type guy that's better at combat. Gotcha. And I had no idea when I was picking a character, I picked them based on the way they looked. Okay. Because again, I had no idea I was picking a class. Yeah. So these both both these games have skins basically placed over the. statistic-based RPG system, Mm -hmm. which is under there. And that's why when you said these games are very different, I went, eh. It's because I found out after I figured them both out, I'm like, this is the same game. They just, the interface is completely different. But you can, once you figure it out, you can feel the same game is under there. Well, the interface is different, but the story is different. Correct. The Genesis version, your brother is killed and you're seeking who did it and seeking revenge. Yes. The SNES version isn't. You wake up in a morgue and you have no memory. Yeah. And then you have to figure out what happened. So the story, and, and I did find out by doing a little research online, the SNES version is actually based on a novel based on the RPG tabletop game that came out. And I don't gotcha. remember the name of the novel, but it's actually the whole storyline is copped right from a novel. Gotcha. Well, let's go ahead and start right... Let's dig right into the Super <laughs> NES one. Now, I will say... And, and I, we usually cover one game and cover the other. Yeah. Uh, RPGs are long, drawn out, yeah. involved. You and I, I played four hours of each, roughly. And, and, and I think I played two hours of the SNES version, and I played six hours of the Genesis version. And okay. that wasn't because I liked Did one. Did you start or, with the Genesis? Though? I started with the okay. Genesis ones, and then I was like, "What am I? What am I getting getting into here?" And then when I played the SNES, it was more realistic. Like I had two or three hours to to dive into it. And so, you, knew, you had a time limit. You knew you were, how long yeah. you're going to play. Yeah. So the SNES one, I will. I want to say I started with the SNES. Okay. Realistically, I probably put more time into the SNES because I started with that one. Right. Um. I actually thought the story on this nest was more intriguing sure i'm gonna give it that okay um the just the concept of waking up not knowing where you are and being with the character mm-hmm. trying to figure this thing out yeah. was cool whereas on the genesis it's almost like the game was playing itself and you're trying to figure out what's going on yeah whereas with the super nintendo i felt like i was just as confused as this guy was yeah um so let me touch the gameplay real quick the Super Nintendo version is an isometric uh, action game as far as what I'm going to call the GUI. Right. Um, lots of pop-up te- text box mm-hmm. is. Um, anytime you talk to a character, or anytime you see a character, for the most part, you can talk to them. Um, and you're going all over the place just talking to players. Um, and, and, and before I knew this was an RPG game, this was what was weird. I knew there was a stat screen. I knew there was all these things you could eventually upgrade. But when you're walking around the map, you're like, it's just you're just walking around wandersly walking or wander. What's what? Wanderless. I can't even talk. You're walking around completely aimlessly is the idea. I guess I want to get across. Yeah. Um, and there's buildings everywhere, and people just like start shooting at you from out of windows. Yeah. Um, and they kill you <clears> a bunch <throat> at first. Um. So yeah. I was I was originally playing this like an action game. I'm like, I need bigger guns, and I want to go in there and blast people away. And once I got the guns, that helped, but I still didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, 
One one thing to just to go back a little bit. Uh, this they are made by two different companies. This one's made by Beam Software, the SNES version. The Genesis version's by Blue Sky, okay. and uh, Blue Sky also did some. Do you remember Vector Man on Genesis? Oh yeah, yeah. They created that one, and you can kind of tell. I mean, the graphics are much better on the Genesis. I'll call that out right now. They're much better, and Vector Man was like a tour de force of graphics capabilities on the Genesis. Okay, game, really cool looking game. Exactly, and that's exactly how I'd describe it. But yeah, so going back, they were two different developers. Um, But by the way, Beam Software made Smash TV for the SNES, which kind of, if you look at the SNES graphics. I mean, it, it it it's almost like the color palettes and so you can kind of tell yeah. tell the difference in the in the in the games. But the SNES version, yes, is more isometric. The Genesis is top down, more more top down ish. I would say that the SNES version, the graphics are less impressive. Everything's really small. Yeah. Um. It almost looks like it could be. I don't know. But what I what I will give it though is the text is much clearer. The, text the story is, is told better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and like right here, we're in a scene where you can... The controls are difficult, and a lot of people complain about the controls. The point-and-click interface is horrible. It's an action game GUI yep. where you have to stop, hit a button, which completely stops what you're doing, but no, no one else. Everyone else is still firing at you and stuff. Right. When you hit that extra button, a little hand comes up, and you have to control the hand to click on point-and-click on stuff. And then, for example, here we're looking at a desk. He clicks on it, and you can examine or pick up an item. Um, so it's really a action game slash point-and-click adventure connected together for the yeah. Super Nintendo version. For the first five or ten minutes that was difficult, I got over that really quick. Okay. I didn't. It took me longer to get to get somewhat proficient with it. I, can, I never say I, I mastered it. Yeah. Still trying to click on things to open them or find the exact little spot in the graphic to do things was very touchy with it. I didn't. I did not have that issue. Um, but to each their own. I found this interesting. Right now, we're watching a guy run down a street. Yep. And no matter if you, anytime you go into a building, you come back out, the enemies respawn. Yeah. So there was just people randomly hiding in bushes all over the place trying to kill you. Um. Now, I guess you're kind of in this the character's shoes because he also doesn't know who he is or why he's where he is because yeah. he literally was in a morgue in a bo- with a body tag on his toe right. and wakes up and he creeps out the guys at the morgue because they're like, oh, what the heck? Yeah. Um, but I actually kind of got into this. I started figuring out that when you shoot people randomly, you get uh, experience points, which I forget what they call them right now. Karma? Karma. Yeah. And you can go to your bed and go to sleep which will refill your HP and stuff, and also allows you to use your karma yeah. to gain abilities, like either... Uh, I used a lot of it on gun skill, so that my gun was more effective. Otherwise, you're shooting people four or five times before you hit them, yeah. so you're gonna, now you're going to hit them more often. Mm-hmm. So I maxed that out. I maxed out, um, I think, my body. Yeah. I call it body, which is more or less your resistance to bullets. Um, and I picked the the combat guy too because I figured I knew that from kind of reading in the game that you could hire cyber deck people to do your hacking for you. Okay. So I knew that I didn't have to be the hacker guy, and then I didn't want to be the shaman guy because the magic just was like almost a little off putting to me. Really? Okay. For a cyberpunk I game. I didn't look enough. At, oh yeah, yeah. Just the fact that it was there. Just the fact of it. Yeah. I agree. I so agree. I just picked the combat guy. He seemed the best of all the world. So I just picked that guy. Yep. But anyway. Um 
but this game is very much an RPG with a point and click game. Uh, yep. I, every time I could pick up something, I picked it up. I got a huge inventory of random stuff. Yep. Um, Since it is Battle of the Systems, I'd like to just mention some things in comparison to the Genesis version. One thing I liked more about the SNES version is that when you walked into like a bar, you walked into a bar and mm-hmm. you looked around, you saw the bartender, you saw people. Yep. You could walk up to people and talk to them. Yes. You could walk up to the bartender. You could do whatever you wanted in the bar. In the Genesis version, you walk into any place and it just immediately throws you into a text dialogue. Um, or you walk into a bar and you're like, where do I go? There's no one, literally no one in the bar. You just go to some weird random back room and all of a sudden now you're talking to yeah. It, it, it it's it it immediately there when you walk into places there wasn't it was just a text adventure after that yep you so it it, it kind of take for me it takes you out of the uh, well yeah let's go uh, there the, so the genesis version yep this i would call this an isometric action game with point and click adventure elements correct the genesis game is first of all it looks everything is chunkier and bigger mm-hmm and better looking. It does. But yep. there's a lot less people around mm-hmm. because it's almost a text adventure with an action adventure uh, top down. Mm-hmm. Not quite, no, not direct bird's eye, but top down at an angle, but not isometric uh, game. I'd call it close enough to top down to say it's top down. Okay. But, and yeah, I'd say that's kind of a semi action text adventure game on the Genesis version. Because it really is a lot of text screens. You know what I mean? I, I And you know, if you're going to play a game that's an action game, it should be an action game. And that's what threw me out of the, of the Genesis one. Not that the Genesis is a bad game. One of, the, uh, one of the positive things about the Genesis version to me was the size of the world. It was huge. Yeah, there was multiple... Um, you got to a map where you can go to like nine yep. different areas of the city or different... Yeah, yep. burbs. And, uh, but then again, you also had to st- you get out some graph paper. Yeah. Draw everything out and figure out where everything is because the primary. See that when he, when he walked in and you're showing, we, we have a little video on the background. When he walked in that room, just goes in text mode. Yep. Um, yep. and th- that's the majority of places you walk into is just jumps into a text adventure. Uh, I don't know. That just takes me out of it. I, I, I wish that you could go into places and actually walk around. Now, with, that said, when you are walking around the world, the Genesis version's beautiful and it's more diverse. There's, yeah. it, you kind of want to be in the world on the Genesis version. The SNES version, it gets when you're not when so much you're in buildings, but when you're out of buildings, it's kind of bland. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I can see that. Yeah. yeah. When you're in buildings, it's great because you can be in buildings on the SNES version. So the SNES gets a plus there for me. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah. So another big point of difference, in my opinion, is it, they they do look, in the Super Nintendo version, you feel like you're in a city with skyscrapers. Yep. Everything's got tons of windows. Uh, you go down hallways, when you go inside of a building, you go down hallways and you can go into different doors. Yeah. And each door is a different room. Of course, one of those rooms could be your bedroom, which is your safe haven, and literally right next door to you, you walk in there and three people are shooting at you. Right. But you walk to the hallway, they don't follow you. You go into your room, they don't know you're there somehow. But, you know, whatever. Video games. <laughs> um, whereas the Genesis version, I almost feel like it's, it's almost like a Jurassic Park kind of a life. Where every building is one story and surrounded by a huge concrete fence. 
<laughs> no, I, I agree with it, you. It doesn't feel like a city. Everything feels like the slums. Yeah. Which has its own feel. Yeah. It's just, I guess, it's but a see, like even, even in that still view, it almost reminds me a little bit of Chaos Engine. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the viewpoint and the graphics are very Chaos Engine. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, or for people in the U.S., that is Soldier of Fortune. Yeah, no one played that game. No, no, they, no, they didn't. Um, so, what I found myself doing in the Super Nintendo version was going around, shooting people a lot, trying yeah, to get karma. I did the same. Going back to my bed, basically mm-hmm. farming karma, mm-hmm. building myself up, yep. eventually getting myself a new gun so I could do that better and feel less intimidated. And then you literally have to go just around every single person in every door, talk to everybody, and it becomes very much like a text adventure or point-and-click adventure, because mm-hmm. your goal is to get somebody to tell you something. You just ask every question possible, and you know, you'll know you go to a guy and say, hey, what do you know about these things? You have 20 items. You just have to click on every single one until you hit one where he says, oh, them? I heard that they did this. And he'll mention that it'll be a highlighted word. And now that, that word is added to your... Um, almost to your lexicon of things to ask other people. So you're going around collecting items, and you're also going around collecting these keywords from conversations. Uh, So it's almost like, I mean, the game probably, I I don't know, takes 20 or 30 hours to play because you just have to keep clicking on everybody, trying to get everything. And that is our lesson learned. We can't pick RPGs. And we play four hours each. (laughs) Yeah, we we can't play RPGs for battle systems because they just take too long. We don't have the time. Yeah. I do feel like we didn't give the game justice, but at the same time, I think we got enough to at least compare the two, and that's what's important in Battle of Exactly, yeah. and and uh, and we we do have a Josh Malone actually sent us a guest, a guest interview, a guest interview or a guest review, guest review. So we're gonna. I actually have not listened to it yet. Me either. Uh, it sounds like it's about ten minutes long. Yeah. Um, originally he sent us a, a text file that we were gonna to hopefully read, and then we saw how long it was. We're like. Mind yeah. just recording that? <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Josh, for hooking that and up it's for neat. us. I think it's neat to have him. It is. And, and, and like I said, I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't know what his opinions are. Um, especially played. I mean, I get the feeling he played the Genesis one, and liked it. But yeah. The new Super Nintendo one to him. Um, in the Genesis one, I want to say that I what I was mostly doing uh, was in that game. You go to a bar, you get a uh, what do they call it? A run or a. Um. Cyber Run, right? Cyber Run. Yeah. And I guess these are all this is all lingo from the Shadow Run universe. Yeah. But they always they call each other chummer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and, and the three different classes in the Genesis version were the samurai, the decker, and the shaman. Okay, so probably same lingo, but the samurai is different than the Super Nintendo. That wasn't an option. I don't think so. Um, and basically, basically what you did there were escort missions, and these missions where you got a package and delivered it. Yeah. And so you're literally, you were in this one area, this one burb, yeah. with like nine buildings in it. You had to memorize where all the buildings were or draw them on graph paper for yourself. You'd go to this guy, he'd be like, hey, I'll give you 45 bucks to do this, depending on how, how, how high your negotiation, negotiation skill is. Yeah. You might try to work your way to $55 for the run. You accept it, and he's like, all right, go to this place, grab this, and then take it to this place. Or escort, go to this place, grab, grab a guy, escort him to this place. So you literally are just doing these little fetch quests. Yeah. And I did that for probably two hours before I got to the point where I wasn't just killed immediately in the street. Yeah. Like, I would I would literally save the game, go get a, a run or whatever you called it, a, a 
Yeah. Uh, I made a mistake. It's called Shadowrun. Which is called the Shadowrun? Okay. They're Shadowrunners. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so I go get a Shadowrun. He'd be like, go to this location. I'd get there, get the guy, try to get to the next location, get shot to death by random dudes in the street, load my save, do it again, get shot again, load my save, do it. The guys wouldn't show up. I'd make it, get my money, save the game. Like, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, if I tried to go at any other burb, because you can take a taxi. That's right. That costs money. I'd almost always get killed over there. If you get killed, you go to a hospital, which charges you money. And it's in a different location, so you have to get a taxi head back home. Luckily, if you're out of money, the taxi feels nice, feels sorry for you, it does it for free. Right. But then you've gotten nowhere, you just wasted your time, because now you have no money. Um, I was beating my head against the wall trying to get to a point where I wasn't dying in this game. And once I got there, I couldn't figure out what to do. Now, did you do the the hacking at all? Not much. Because that's the big difference between the two as well. Okay. So the SNES version... When you enter the Matrix, that's what it's called. Ooh, that's where the title came from. Yep. So, and this predates the Matrix movie. Yeah. When you enter the Matrix, on the SNES version, it is, it's, it is really bad looking. I mean, it really, really? is. It's very, it's very two dimensional, top down looking, but the graphics are very, very pedestrian. Oh I mean, no, I did see that. I did yeah. see that. But it was kind of a game, though. It's a game you go through and then you have to use ice and different tools to do the hacking in the game. And the, basically the goal is to get information that you can sell and make money. Okay. Um, but it was a game within a game. I remember seeing that. It is a game within a game. It's almost like an old Commodore game. Right. In the yeah. middle of a Super Nintendo game. That's right. The Genesis version, and this you hear this a lot, the Genesis version is very, very visually appealing. Yeah. Like there's like guy looks like Silver Surfer. He's like a silver guy. And he's like moving his hands and he, all the stuff is very 3D and graphically generated. Okay. It, it really is a very, very pretty system. And it, but it pretty much follows the same line. You're trying to break into different things using different elements that you can upgrade inside of the matrix to get the data that you need to get. Gotcha. See, I just, my own personal bias, I had no interest in going to the computer. That sounds so boring. I don't want to do that on either game. No, they're just little So min- I avoided it. It's like a mini game, and it's it's actually pretty interesting. It's actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Once you get into no, it. I'm just talking about thematically. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to hack things. I want to go fight people and meet people and do things and move right. ahead. I don't want to, like, <laughs> play on the computer while playing. It's meta. It's too meta for me, Eric. Yeah. Cyber games, the, the yeah. cyberpunk games probably aren't for you, then. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a little biased. It was a little turn off for me. So yeah, is there anything else you want to say about either of these games before we hear what uh, Josh has to say? Nope, I think we should go there. But are we going to rate them, or are you going to tell me which one you like the best? Come on, man, this is Battle of the Systems. All right, if we're going to give our opinion right now, do you think we should? Yeah, we should give it now, and then All we'll right. let Josh say what he wants. This is purely based off of my own personal interest. Okay. The Genesis game obviously looked better. We already talked about the music was terrible. We didn't even talk about that. That's it's true. It's beeps and boops and random noises. Although it is atmospheric. Oh my god. <sighs> I think it is atmospheric for for a cyberpunk game. Yeah, I hated it. Whatever. Okay. Um, the Genesis game. First of all, we're, uh, we're doing this out of, out of how many which, uh, goat heads? Sure. Because <laughs> even though there's no goats in the game, there's zombies in the game. By the way, we didn't talk about that. There's That's true. Ghouls and zombies in both these games. Yeah. So not only is it a horror cyberpunk game, horror, cy- horror cyberpunk uh, fantasy magic game. Yeah, um, it's too much. It's, it's too a much. lot. Um, 
So out of uh, uh, 10 shadow runs, no, 10 goat heads, that's what we said. I'm going to give the Genesis one a five and a half. Out of 10? Out of 10. Okay. Um, I found, I love the graphics. I wanted to enjoy it. I just constantly died. Honestly, I had to be on the internet telling me where to go. But even to do one of those things, I had to spend two hours leveling up my character and Add, buy new guns and stuff. Okay. Doing the same fetch quests over and over and over again just to try to get to the next storyline thing. Yeah. And it just, all of it felt like tedium to me. Okay. Um, so five and a half. Genesis. Okay. What about you? Genesis. So G- the Genesis version, it, it, it's visually more appealing. The hacking part was, was great. And if you're not playing the hacking part, you're, you're probably missing a great I, part of the game. You're probably right. Um, the text adventure part when you jump into the texting really slowed down the machine took me out of it quite a bit so i gotta dock it a lot for that okay um i do like the chaos engine style graphics and and Mm -hmm. and walking around the city i actually like that uh and the upgrade system worked fine i think i'm gonna give i would say the gunplay is a little more strategic than snes where you just click and wait i think so too and this one you can actually like fire and run away then turn back and fire and try to dodge things yeah yeah, these these two are gonna be tricky for me. They're almost like the yin yang. Like one has everything, the other one doesn't, and yeah. the other one has everything, the other one doesn't. Yeah, so I can see that. It's 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 tough, but I'm gonna give it. Um, I think I'm gonna give the Genesis version probably a six and a half. Okay, six and a half out of ten. All right. Yep. Super Nintendo. Yep. Obviously, the graphics suffered. Yep. But I actually felt myself wanting to go back to the Super Nintendo one. Okay. Um. I don't know what it was. I think it was just more intuitive. Yeah. It might just be it. I kind of knew what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, things were highlighted that I, that were important. So I wasn't like struggling. For, and then I wasn't dying randomly. If I was went to an area where I was going to get killed, there's enough health that you got shot a few times, realized, oh, I'm going to die if I stay here. And you can back out and go to a different area. Sure. There's just more foreshadowing. And the story, I like the story better. I, I kind of felt the atmosphere better, even though the graphics weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to give a 6.5 to the Super Nintendo. Okay. For the Super Nintendo, I am going to say that I appreciated that it didn't take me out of it by throwing me into just text dialogues when I walked into a building, that I could walk into a building. That was really important to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give that a lot of kudos the hacking part's horrible compared to the Genesis version, and that's almost unforgivable. But <laughs> because if you do get into the hacking, which I did, yeah. I played I did a lot on Super that. Nintendo, but not on the Genesis. Um, I, w- the, I, th- I did think the music was better in the in the Super Nintendo. Version. It wasn't great, but it was music. It was music, exactly. Um, I w- one thing that I liked a lot more about the Super Nintendo version was. The I thought the game mechanic of collect. I, th- I think you put it really well. I was trying to fish for a good term for it. Collecting keywords. You're yeah. kind of when you're in dialogues with people, you're collecting keywords that you can then use for someone else. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really neat mechanic. Um, so I think overall for the score for the Super Nintendo version, I'm probably going to give it a seven. So Super Nintendo wins. Super Nintendo wins. Awesome. I'm, I don't think that's what Josh expected, but... 
No, no, and it I, was, I had nothing, no information going into this. So for, for me, it was very close. Like I said, it's the yin yang. Like one has, one covers everything, the other one doesn't. I, it, it's it's a hard toss up. But if I had to go back to one, if someone said, "Hey, you got to go back to one of these and finish it," yeah, I'd want to finish the Super Nintendo one I versus agree. the Genesis one. Look at that! Look we're, at that! We're copacetic. Let's see what uh, Josh get the damn batteries out Malone has to say about it. Yeah, I'm eager to hear it. I first played the Genesis version of Shadowrun as an older kid. It was one of the few games my brother and I had for our original Genesis. I can't remember why we bought it. I know we weren't familiar with the tabletop game. I guess the game's description or box art must have won us over, or it was cheap in the used bin. I never completed it back then, but I've replayed the game several times and finally completed it with a reasonable amount of cheating and hints. I've always found it to be a very fun and engaging game, so when I later discovered there was a Super NES version, I immediately acquired it and began trying to play it, but the interface immediately turned me off and I gave up after probably only several minutes of play. So I suggested it for your Battle of the Systems, really just intending to subject you both to the terribleness of this NES version. But then after I suggested it, I figured I should probably give it another chance, and so I played them both for a while, and here's my opinions of the two versions. Both games are based on the Shadowrun tabletop RPG, but were developed independently by two different studios. The SNES version by Beam Software, which later became Melbourne House, and the Genesis version by Blue Sky Software. Both are cyberpunk action RPGs featuring a sort of dystopian urban landscape where megacorporations have basically replaced governments, and an underground group of Shadowrunners do the dirty deeds of the corporations and the various gangs that control the city. There's components of cyberspace, firearms, and magic, so it's got a little something for every RPG fan. Okay, let's talk about the games. I'll start with the SNES version. This game starts you off with really no idea what to do. If you waited through the attract mode, you got a brief scene of a character, presumably you, getting gunned down, and then a shape-shifting fox runs up, casts a spell on you, and then you start the game and you're immediately thrown into an unfamiliar world where there's lots to explore, but you're constantly getting shot at by hitmen and goons, and so your exploration gets interrupted every 20 seconds or so. Your character has the whole amnesia bit going on, so I guess you're supposed to feel disoriented, but I can't say that I like that as a game intro. The next thing that you discover is the cursor interface is incredibly clumsy. You switch between controlling your character and then driving a cursor around the screen to either interact with objects or fire your weapon. And you can't control your character in cursor mode, so if you try to interact with something that's too far away, you just get told you're too far away from the object. Or in combat, you just wind up standing there soaking up lead as you return fire. My overall impression is that everything about the interface is just there to slow you down. The menu screen loads very slowly, the selectable options take a couple of seconds to appear, and that often led me to press a button thinking I had to do something, only to discover that I just exited this very slow menu and now I have to wait for it to redraw again. Having to open up the menu and then select an item, select use, then go into cursor mode and point to the item I want to use it with is really only acceptable with a mouse. And of course, this game won't use this NES mouse. If it did, this would probably be a very different review. The learning mechanic with keywords seems like it could have been a good idea, but ultimately it comes off as poorly implemented. There's a lot of stuff to learn in this game, but the game trades the point-and-click adventure trope of try combining every item with every other item for the equally annoying ask every person about every possible keyword. 
90% of the responses are basically, I don't know, but if you miss that important one, you can't progress in the game. Also, buying things one at a time by asking someone about it in conversation gets old pretty much instantaneously. A portion of both games takes place inside the various in-game computers in a space game called The Matrix. In the SNES game, you start off not actually being able to do anything in The Matrix yourself, so you're pretty much forced to hire someone who can. The game calls them Deckers. The hiring of other runners actually factors into both games, and the hiring mechanic in this one seemed pretty straightforward, but the duration of the runner's hired period seems random to me. There was no indication before a hired runner just basically says, I've had enough, and leaves your party. Most of what you do in this game is run around and shoot people, while also getting shot at yourself. The gun targeting requires very quick reflexes, and driving a reticle around the screen with a D-pad really should be considered torture under the Geneva Convention. At least it auto-tracks the enemies once you get them targeted. Also, not having stats on the weapons while shopping forced me to just go to the strategy guide and look up, okay, what item do I buy next? Uh, not very fun. Also, Karma, the game's equivalent of experience points, seems super slow to earn compared to the Genesis version. But then there's less characteristics to upgrade in this one, so maybe it balances out. Ultimately, the plot seems pretty solid, if very linear. There doesn't seem to be any side quests to get into in this version. I admit I didn't finish playing it, and I resorted to videos and walkthroughs to get the feel of the plot and the finale. But it seems like a long enough game for a SNES RPG. It felt very inspired by the novel Neuromancer, considerably more so than the Genesis version. The dialogue graphics are drawn in a very odd style. It's not actually bad, but it's almost like messy in a way that isn't obviously intentional, but I'll just assume it is. Uh, the music was quite good, and overall, I have to say I liked the game more than I thought I would. I gotta give it a very big mulligan on the interface, though. That thing is just terrible. Now on to the Genesis version. In stark contrast to the SNES, I find the Genesis version feels highly ergonomic. You can dismiss all of the interstitial dialogues with any button, including the D-pad. And when you're scrolling through item lists, the menu selection wraps around top to bottom, just little things like that. You can save anywhere on the overworld map, and these things really work to keep the interface out of your way and keep you in the game. The graphics really fit my idea of a dirty, gritty, dystopian world, and I'm a huge fan of the FM PSG sound on the Genesis, so I've always liked the soundtrack on this version. The combat mode auto-targets the closest attacker and lets you simply switch between targets with one button, and that's a huge relief after playing this NES version. The game starts by presenting a bit of your character's backstory, and you start off the game with a sense of mystery, but a clear motivation and obvious starting point. From there, I feel like it does a good job of guiding you towards the final goal, while still giving you room to explore and immerse yourself in the world. Whenever you enter new areas or buildings, these little narration dialogues appear, and it just presents a lot of good detail that helps you build your sense of the world and the environment in very much the same way that text adventures do. The main thing you do in this game, as the title suggests, is go on shadow runs. In fact, literally the first thing you do after talking to your first NPC is go find one of the low-level crime bosses uh, known as Mr. Johnson's in the game, and you get a run and start earning money because you need money. I found this running to be a pretty reasonable version of RPG level grinding. The runs are well randomized and there are several different types of runs you could be offered. And you can also turn down a run if you don't like something about it or the price or you want a different type. So if I wanted to hold out for a matrix run, 
I can do that and there's no penalty for not taking a job. You get to choose your archetype when you start this game, either a magic user, a fighter, or a decker, and that allows you to really personalize the game experience to your preference, which I really like. It feels more like a traditional RPG in that sense. You can also choose from many different skill types to spend your karma points on, and the situation is that you probably won't earn enough karma points to max out all your stats, so you have to choose your specialty carefully and then hire other runners to fill in the gaps. The world feels very deep in this game. Different Johnsons offer different types of runs, and different areas of the city have unique music and artwork and locations like shops. Uh, there are also different characters to interact with, and the interactions just feel deeper than they did in the SNES version. Although the game does have a straight-line plot that you can progress through, there are a lot of side things to get involved with as you progress. I usually play as a decker, so I try to upgrade my cyber deck, do lots of matrix runs, steal data files, etc. And through the right contacts, you can upgrade your equipment beyond what's available in the shops. Other side quests, you can join local gangs, or the Yakuza, or the Mafia, and doing those things brings their own changes to your options in the game. It affects your gameplay later on. The plot feels more like the later harebrained scheme Shadowrun games, and a little less Gibson-esque than the SNES version. I find the depiction of the Matrix in this game to be vastly superior to the SNES version. The Matrix here includes its own deep system of navigation, strategy, upgrades, and combat. You actually have to fight the intrusion countermeasures in this game if you want to progress through a Matrix run. You have many ways to customize your skills, your deck, and your software to improve your chances of success in the Matrix. And if you're really thorough, you can even find a whole Easter egg side quest in the Matrix, and I really dig it. Okay, that was a lot to say on these games. Now it's time to give it a rating. In Grand Pixel Gaiden tradition, I'm going to say that out of 21 frag grenades, I'd give the SNES version 14 and the Genesis version 18. The SNES version is a very good game, but the interface I really don't like, and I miss the open-world feeling that the Genesis version brought. And where were the Shadowruns? The Genesis version really drew me into the world. I really felt like a runner moving up through the ranks and slowly figuring out what happened to my brother as I learned my way around the underground world of Seattle. I'd like to give a big thanks to Cody and Eric for allowing me to contribute a segment to the show this month. I'm looking forward to your next episode, as always. Thanks. So I want to thank uh, Josh Malone again for sending us that review. Um, I know Eric and I didn't love the games, but it was interesting to try something new that we would never have picked ourselves. Definitely. Um, and uh, it's cool to kind of look into somebody else's childhood and see what they enjoyed. And uh, I can see how you can get into it. I can absolutely see how you can get into it. This is one of those games that I think that if I had this back in, like, oh, yeah. in the era... Like, especially because I had a Super Nintendo, I didn't have a Genesis. If I had the Super Nintendo and I got Shadowrun, I probably would have even gotten into like the, the tabletop RPG. I would have just gone yeah. full hog into it. Or all. even the Genesis game. Like, yeah. I might have not kept going, but that's because I literally have 10,000 other games I can play. Right. Yeah. Uh, when back when we owned the system, like, I would have probably dug into this and kept going because Sonic was a linear, quick experience. Yeah. And then this would be my long term game, you know? Yep. Um, but cool. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate your help on that. Yep. Um, that pretty much wraps up our episode. That's great. In a couple of weeks, we're going to return here. Uh, we've got Eric State coming up. He's doing a bomb jack comparison. Yes. Uh, Cody's Corner. I'm going to talk a little bit about 
arcade games that I uh, think are better at at home to play at home. Oh, neat. Um, than perhaps some of the other arcade games that are more left best in arcade. <laughs> um, and then we're also going to go ahead and catch up with uh, not only each other, but with our boy Tim Drew. Perfect. He's going to wake up nice and early over there UK time to talk to us. Yeah, that's And nice uh, we'll see what we've all been up to. So Cool. I'm excited. Thanks again to uh, Stefan Vogt uh, for the interview. Uh, we're very excited to see Hibernated 2, at least I am. Yeah. Play some text adventures, um, specifically family-friendly text adventures with no deaths. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's about it for now, Eric. Yeah. Anything you want to tell the fine people? No. Not at all. <laughs> I'm done talking for this episode. Sounds good. What if you told them that it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to go, go alone? Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at Oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.